Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. If I'm a slave, call me a slave. Don't tell me that I'm a free person. And I'm still a slave. Yeah, that really lulls me to sleep. You're not really a slave, you know. You're a co-worker. You know, you're a member of the firm, you know. This is the Bodie Plantation, you know. And you're one of our business associates. Now, get that plow moving. Boy, I'm really working out now. I mean, boy, the sweat is flying, whatnot, and I'm behind that mule, and I'm grinning. I'm a business associate at the Bodie Plantation. Man, I feel great. Get up, mule. I want to acknowledge that the roots of our contemporary association run deep into the most painful period of our history. I cannot describe the depths of my personal sorrow at the suffering of so many as I continue to deepen my own understanding of slavery's enduring impact. That was King Charles III speaking at a Commonwealth meeting in Rwanda last year when he was still prince. For years, historians and advocates have been calling for transparency from the British royal family about its role in the slave trade. And now, for the first time, Buckingham Palace has granted researchers at the University of Manchester full access to the royal archives and the royal collection in support of their research. Trevor Bernard is an historian who researches slavery, although he's not directly involved in this particular project. He is director of the Wilberforce Institute for the Study of Slavery and Emancipation at the University of Hull. Trevor, hello. Hi, nice to be on. It's great to have you here. You called this a big moment for the palace and for the country. How so? Well, I think it's very important. Uh, It's a very important, very welcome development from a royal family. Uh, it's a very welcome de- development because the, it's, it's clear, as you, you could tell from that clip, is that the royal family uh, is on a journey of personal understanding of not only how slavery is connected to Britain and to its empire and therefore to the Commonwealth, uh, but also to its particular particular family. And we've seen, I think, from what the royal family is doing now and its a very positive response uh, to calls from the Guardian and other other areas to to, uh, uh, to open up its archives to the to investigate slavery. Mm. Uh, we also see from from that it's moved on from uh, which are some unfortunate comments from last year from uh, uh, the now Prince of Wales, the, the then Duke of of Cambridge, uh, which suggested that the royal family was, was regretted slavery, but no had but had no personal role in it. I mean, if you'd like, I could give just a little bit of information about uh, how deep the involvement 
uh, of the royal family is yeah. uh, with, with slavery uh, and how important the Caribbean and slavery was in the 18th century to the making of British wealth, because I think your listeners would, would like to hear both of those things. Uh, the most important thing I think about the, the, the to mention about the royal family is that it, it's, it, it has a deep and abiding involvement from, with, with slavery, much more than any other family personally uh, in Britain, right from the 17th century onwards. It set up the Royal African Company in the 1660s and 1670s uh, under Charles II. James II, then Duke of York, was the governor uh, of the Duke of, of the Royal African Company. The Royal African Company sent more Africans to the Americas in the 17th century, uh, sent more Africans than any other institution in world history, and many of those Africans uh, went there branded by with branded with the Duke of York's own name. Uh, all, all all monarchs from Charles II through to William IV actively supported slavery. William III invested in the in the in the Royal African Company. Queen Anne in 1713 personally negotiated a contract uh, with the King of Spain uh, to deliver enslaved people to Spanish America, mm. uh, taking profits from that. The George I, the George II, George III were all very involved in slavery. Indeed, it's, indeed, George III, uh, even though he showed some abolitionist sentiments when he was young, uh, when he was when he was monarch, was very much in support of the slave trade. And Wilberforce, in 1792, uh, thought he had delayed the slave trade by 10 years. And we need to remember that of those 10 years, uh, 485,000 slaves, 48,000 of whom died, uh, went to the Americas. And William IV, who ironically was a person who signed the uh, abolition of slavery into law in 1834, was such a determined uh, and and vi- vigilant uh, supporter of the pro of of slavery in 1807, uh, that Jamaica gave him a a, 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 a plate service, uh, which is still in the royal collection. So they're very deeply involved with slavery in all sorts of ways. Why do you why As do you th- well, why do you think this this change has come from the palace? I mean, again, w- when the mm-hmm. king says he wants to to undertake this with vigor and determination, there have been accusations that perhaps in past. Uh, the monarchy did not uh, have such an interest. Why Why now, do you think? Well, I think there's part of a general trend within institutions in Britain and in, and, and in parts of what used to be the British Empire, now the Commonwealth, to investigate their links with slavery in all sorts of ways. I think I think certainly that they were taken, the palace was taken aback last year when uh, the Duke of Cambridge, now the Prince of Wales, went to the to the Caribbean uh, and to realize just the depth of feeling that had been emerged about the royal family and their lack of uh, sympathy and, and, and lack of apology uh, for their personal involvement. I think that the the, the prince of uh, the current king, King Charles, has sh- has shown that he's open uh, to uh, to reevaluating what the what, what the royal family has done and uh, is, is is very open. Mm. Uh, to looking at uh, at the palace's involvement in the past. It's so, a very welcome development indeed. And so you've said, in addition to this welcome development, that the king needs to, in your words, take responsibility. What else needs to follow this? I think that I think the next move for the royal family to do, uh, if I could give advice to them in, in, in this way, the next move is to acknowledge not only that slavery was bad uh, and that it was something which should be regretted, which has been their current approach, but they, as a family, uh, not only uh, not only profited directly and personally from slavery, but supported the slave trade and slavery throughout the 17th and 18th century. Uh, it's a part of acknowledging a particular part of the Hanoverian history. Uh, so that I think that it, 
at least go further than just uh, opening up to research. Welcome, though, that is. Uh, but to 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 do something which which connects uh, with the increasing demands, particularly from the Caribbean, uh, for the royal family to do more than just say words. Would you think, would you want slavery. an official? Well, words, and we'll talk about reparations in just a moment. But would you want to see? And do you think that there should be, for example, an official apology coming from the? Well, I, I think I think quite possibly. I mean, I think that one of the problems with that is it gets tied up with money, uh, and that that might be that might be unfortunate. But 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 countries apologize. Countries that people apologize for things all the time and, and and things they've done in the past. Britain has apologized for the Irish famine, for example, and and certainly to taking more direct responsibility uh, for one of the worst crimes that Britain was involved in. Of course, it did, was, was the First Nation to also abolish slavery and to abolish the, the slave trade. Uh, but in the 18th, 17th and 18th century, uh, the a great deal of wealth was made by individuals and by the country uh, in what was uh, the, easily the most most important trade within uh, with, with, within the British Empire. Um, Canadian Canadian listeners might who know their history uh, might of course know that there was a big debate in, in 1763 about whether whether Canada or Guadeloupe uh, should be uh, acquired by the British Empire I mean, it did acquire Canada uh, but Guadeloupe was much more valuable mm. and that says something just about how important that the Caribbean trade and the and, and that that was all done through the labor of uh, brutally exploited black laborers. Just before I let you go, we're going to head to the Bahamas in a moment to hear more about um, the reaction there and, and the issue perhaps of reparations. But you said in some ways that an apology could get caught up in money. Is this not about money? And is, is given the amount of wealth that was generated, accumulated through slavery by families, including perhaps the British royal family, is this not inevitably leading to a conversation about reparations, about redistributing some of that wealth? Well, I certainly think some people, many people in the Caribbean would think that, but I wouldn't go that far. I think uh, it, it may end up being uh, being something which is involved with money. But I think more importantly uh, is an acknowledgement really by not just not just uh, the, the palace, but things like the Church of Institutions, like the Church of England, the Bank of, Eng Bank of England, Lloyd's Insurance, all sorts of groups that were involved in the 18th century, that this was some part of their history. Uh, whether, what, what, how, what the recompense they have to make for that history, well, I think that's up to them. That's a separate question. But I think that it's more than just research. It does mean to say an acknowledgement uh, of uh, how important uh, the slavery and the slave trade was in the making of modern Britain, the making of the British Empire, and in the development of very important institutions within Britain and its empire. Trevor, we'll leave it there. It's great to talk to you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Trevor Bernard is director of the Wilberforce Institute for the Study of Slavery and Emancipation at the University of Hull, and we reached him in Hull, England. Nayambi Hall Campbell-Dean is chair of the Bahamas National Reparations Committee and an associate professor of psychology at the University of Bahamas, and we've reached her in Nassau, the Bahamas. Nayambi, good morning to you. Good morning. What was your reaction when you heard that King Charles was willing to support this research into the royal family's involvement in the slave trade? Well, we were encouraged by this um, new development, but quite frankly, underwhelmed. Um, you know, it, the the history that was so um, well laid out by your previous guest is something that we in the Caribbean are quite familiar with. And so I find it 
um, a little hard to believe that the royal family is not as familiar with this research. Mm. So while, um, you know, it's, it's great to support the work that is being done, I think that they need to fund this type of research and not just support it in words, also fund it um, in countries where slavery was uh, a part of our history. So not just the University of Manchester, but we have institutions at the University of the Bahamas. The University of the West Indies has the Center for Reparations Research. And so I think that the uh, uh, a more... Um, important step would be to open up these archives to these institutions. What do you think could be learned if the, if the research is funded, to your point, but also if the archives are opened up? What, what, what could still be learned, do you think? Um, I think the depths of the connection could still be learned. And, and I, I think maybe not learned, right, but understood in a more detailed manner. Mm-hmm. Because as I said, I... I find it hard to believe that there is information about the links between the family and slavery that is going to be new. There might be some understandings of their relationship or the actual players or specific things that were done. But I think that enough information is available to say we were a part of this abhorrent trade and we need to do something about it. By its definition, history is is something that that happened in the past, but as you will well know, it's also something that people live through on a daily basis. When you take a look at reality in the Bahamas right now, what do you see Mm -hmm. as the legacy of that slave trade in the present-day life in the Bahamas? Well, I think that we have to understand that there was slavery, and then that slavery was followed by colonization. So this year, the Bahamas... Um, celebrates its 50th year of independence um, from from Britain. But in 1958, we had a ratio of one to 60 being for every one person in the Bahamas that had a secondary education, there were 60 people that did not. So we were a largely illiterate population when we became an independent country. And so how do you build a nation with people who have no formal education? These are some of the challenges that we are still dealing with and grappling with today. We have large um, health care issues with non-communicable diseases that can be tied to our history of enslavement. And Naomi, are you there? Oh, I think we lost Naomi. We'll try and get her back on the line. This is an important conversation in part because it will lead not just to her point of a greater understanding of what was um, the implications and the legacy of the transatlantic slave trade, but also um, a call for reparations and a, a way to address some of those legacies. Naomi is back on the line with us. You were talking, Naomi, just about the present day um, impacts of, of the legacy of slavery. Continue. Yeah, so I was just saying that, you know, slavery and colonization left not just the Bahamas, but the Caribbean in a, a massive state of underdevelopment. And we see that in education. We see that in the large number of communicable diseases across the region. Um, the Bahamas, for example, is number six in the world in rates of diabetes. 
Um, and there are a number of factors that contribute to that. Um, but when we look at the rates of diabetes across the region, uh, it's, it's very difficult to deny that the shared history of enslavement and colonization has played a role in that. And so beyond, to your point, understanding more, not learning more about what was going on, but understanding more about it, what is... What does reparations mean to you? And what, what would that mean materially for the issues that you have just laid out? Well, I think it's really important to note that reparations is about justice. And justice is the primary goal. Now, a lot of times when people hear the word reparations, the first thing that they think about is money. Um, and I understand that you do need money to enact some of the programs that are going to allow for justice to to happen. Right. We need money to fix our education systems. We need money to improve our healthcare care systems. Um, but it's not about the money per se. It's about saying that a wrong was enacted and there have to be ways to make that wrong and not right but to demonstrate that you understand your role in perpetrating that wrong. And so what would, what, because again, people will focus on money because of the mm -hmm. amount of wealth that was generated through the slave trade. What yeah. else would help address those wrongs and, and lead you to a place of justice, do you think? Um, so I think it starts with the full informal apology. I think that that's very important in acknowledging uh, the history. And, and, and that's, that's, that's something that you need to hear from the king? That's something that we need to hear from the king. Yes, mm. absolutely. Yeah. And then what else? I think that we need the full informal apology and the, the Caribbean Reparations Committee 10-point plan talks about our 10 points for um, reparations. So that includes uh, returning stolen artifacts, um, whether that be art, history, uh, mementos, things that are important to this region, returning those, um, national debt cancellation, um, help with creating African indigenous knowledge programs. There are so many areas that can be touched on. And at the end of the day, they do require money in order to help build these up. But money is not the primary focus. Mm -hmm. Let me just ask you a couple more things before I let you go, just in the last couple of minutes that we have. One is, why do you think this is happening now? Why do you think this conversation has taken on um, new urgency now? Well, I think that as King Charles looks to um, cement what his legacy will be, he understands that the world is changing. Reparations is the civil rights movement of the 21st century. And the Commonwealth is also changing. Barbados has left. Um, Jamaica has said that they are in conversations about also leaving the Commonwealth. And conversations in the Bahamas have been rumbling about why are we still members in the Commonwealth as well? Mm. So I, I think that the Commonwealth was an institution that was very important to his mother. And I think that he would want to maintain that. And so I think that they're looking at um, different things that might to help keep that relationship. And so just very briefly, we're just out of time, but what will show you that this is meaningful, that it's not just symbolic? A full informal apology is the first step. And that that will be the sign for you that, that the crown, that the monarchy means what it says. Uh, 
the full informal apology and then making connections with the CARICOM Reparations Committee to say, where do we go from here? How can we work with you to really show that we understand this history and are ready to make amends for it? Really glad to talk to you about this. And perhaps we'll talk again if that apology comes. In the meantime, thank you very much. After a years-long process, the U.S. military has begun renaming bases and warships that honored Confederacy figures, including Civil War generals who were enslavers and led troops against the U.S. Army. NPR's Quill Lawrence sent this report about one of the most recent name changes and the remarkable man one Navy ship's name now honors. The Confederate Army won a decisive victory at Chancellorsville, Virginia in 1863. As recently as 1989, it still seemed okay for the Navy to name a U.S. warship for that battle. Only seven years ago, there was still a portrait of Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson displayed on board. Today, Captain Edward Angelinas commands the ship. It is a move much more consistent with the Navy's values. The ship now named for Robert Smalls, who in 1862 stole a southern steamship and sailed to the Union side. Going from Confederate victory to this incredible story of, of a former slave who commandeered a Confederate ship and uh, turned it over to the Union Navy. Robert Smalls was 23 and already such a skilled mariner that his enslaver rented him out as a pilot. He worked on a boat called the Planter, which was a 150-foot sidewheel steamer that carried munitions based in Charleston Harbor. Michael Moore is a descendant of Robert Smalls. He was married. He had two children, among them my great-grandmother Elizabeth. And he knew that in slavery, that his family could be separated from him in an instant. To make a long story short, he knew that there was a blockade just outside the mouth of Charleston River, a Union blockade. Union ships just outside Charleston Harbor, a few miles away. Smalls had one advantage. The white crew couldn't conceive of a black man being capable of stealing their ship, so they often went home for the night, leaving him on board. On May 12th, Smalls enlisted the other enslaved crew and sailed away. They made an audacious stop to collect their families, and then one more ruse de guerre. He donned a straw hat and a long sort of top coat that the Confederate captain wore, and in the middle of night and at distance... He rang the various passcodes to be allowed to pass by about five forts in Charleston Harbor, sailed past them all into freedom. Had they had been caught, certainly they would have been killed. Robin Moore is also a great-great-grandchild, Michael's sister. They would have been killed in a very public way to deter other enslaved African-Americans from trying to do such a heist to escape. Robin Moore says Smalls and his shipmates knew it. It was freedom or death. They faced danger from the Union ships as well. Once he got to the Union blockade, of course, the Union seeing a Confederate ship steering right towards them, they certainly would be blown right out of the water. So they put up a white sheet of surrender. 
Smalls handed over an entire steamship loaded with Confederate guns. That would have been enough, says Michael Moore. Robert got a reward for delivering the boat to the United States, and um, he actually could have lived a very comfortable, happy life, perhaps up in the North where he was received as a real hero. Instead, he returned to war, first piloting the same ship he'd captured from the Confederates and later taking command of a Union ship under fire. And in doing so, was the first African-American to command a United States naval vessel. And he kept serving after the war, elected to the South Carolina legislature and then the U.S. House of Representatives. And the list goes on and on. He was booted off a Philadelphia streetcar after refusing to give up his seat to a white man. He started a boycott that led to integration. He promoted equality in public education and made sure his own children were educated, says Robin Moore. His commitment to education uh, that was passed along to Elizabeth, his daughter, who was that four-year-old, On that ship, all of Elizabeth's children went to college. And he was a brigadier general in the South Carolina militia. And he bought his former enslaver's house. He started a school. He published a newspaper and founded a railroad. Robert Smalls died peacefully in 1915 at the age of 75. Suffice to say, there's plenty for the sailors aboard the USS Robert Smalls to take pride in. Captain Angelina says they showed it the first time he boarded the newly christened ship. After the announcement had been made, the first time I was walking up the pier, they ring four bells, uh, and they said, Robert Smalls, arriving. They announce him by the ship's name. The officer of the deck on the quarter deck, and uh, those sailors meet around and started cheering. And they certainly weren't cheering for me or my arrival. They were cheering for the namesake. He says it's the first time that's happened during three command tours and 27 years in the Navy. Quill Lawrence, NPR News. Dollar Store Fair. Buying food in dollar stores is an easy way to save money, unless your purchase is tainted by toxins, heavy metals, or other poisons that harm the brain. Be especially wary of imported candies and tinned meats. Lead and microbes can leach into them from their containers, and these dangers won't be acknowledged on the label. Imported pottery, too, can have high levels of lead. Such purchases might be better obtained from discount outlets that carry U.S.-regulated goods. Join with friends and neighbors to buy economically in bulk at a big-box store instead, where you are less likely to encounter unregulated foreign fare. Plenty of people just love dollar stores. Then there are shoppers like Sylvia Spicer Ward. No, I, I, I don't care for those stores at all. I don't go in there. Ward lives just outside of Columbia, Tennessee, a small city south of Nashville with about a dozen dollar stores. Now, Dollar General alone opens about three new stores a day. The key behind that fast growth is just how cheap they are to run, which also means little to usually no fresh produce and few workers. There's nobody there to help you, to tell you where to find things. There's boxes everywhere. I'd rather pay a few cents more, and it's only a few cents more at Walmart. But complaints go beyond the brand's messy shopping experiences. Their spread leads to fewer jobs, tax dollars, and healthy food options in communities, often by pushing grocery stores out of business. That's according to a recent report called the Dollar Store Invasion. It's easy to to see these stores and assume that they're simply a symptom of economic distress. But what the research shows is that ultimately they're a cause of it. 
Stacy Mitchell runs the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, the advocacy group that released the report. She says one of the biggest advantages these giant dollar brands have over small grocers is just that, their size. Dollar chains use their market power to negotiate better deals from suppliers. They're peeling off sales of like canned soup and, you know, potato chips. So they're taking the things that you're making margin on and leaving you with the, with the produce and the healthy foods. Which, Mitchell says, is a lot harder to break even with. But researchers haven't reached a consensus yet on dollar store consequences, and certainly not one that justifies labeling the chains as villains, according to Lauren Chenaritis. Wow, like there's so much negative and like and I'm like, where where is it coming from? Chenaritis is an assistant professor at Arizona State University's business school. She says dollar store research from the impact on grocers to public health is still pretty new, and the current papers tend to be pretty targeted with different results. One involving the U.S. Department of Agriculture finds dollar stores opening in rural areas can lead to fewer jobs and make it more likely independent grocers will shut down. But Chenaritas' own research suggests supermarkets and cities are more likely to just shrug off the dollar store competition. The larger the grocery store, the less likely a dollar store is a substitute. Dollar General and Dollar Tree said in different statements that they're a complement to grocery stores and offer affordable products where other retailers won't go. Really, the big question comes down to what's the right amount of dollar stores. Chenarita says it's like medicine. The amount you prescribe matters. If you take five milligrams, like that's the that's the dose. What's the dose here? Well, then what's the overdose too? And what's the overdose? Yeah. Stacy Mitchell again with the Institute for Local Self-Reliance thinks we're way past that mark. We are definitely at, at overdose stage. She says with dollar stores growing so fast, communities shouldn't just wait for more research to come out. If we allow the dollar chains to keep multiplying at this pace, we're going to look back in 10 years and be very sorry that we did that. She points out even tiny towns often have multiple dollar stores. Places like York, Alabama, a small black belt town with two dollar stores and no grocery store. Willie Lake is the town's mayor, and he says they're glad to have the dollar stores. He just wants them to do more. Include a grocery store component where they add fresh meat, fresh vegetables, you know, milk to keep it full in stock, to keep it nice and clean and neat. Dollar General says it has been bringing fresh food to more and more stores. Of course, Dollar Tree recently said it temporarily stopped selling eggs because they got too pricey. Lake says the $2 chains in York do make it harder to recruit a grocery store. But York has bigger problems to think about first, like a shrinking population, which led to a former York grocer shutting down. Grocery store didn't close because of Dollar Store. They closed because the owners got too old. And the kids are left. So for now, Lake's grateful the town has those $2 stores. But he is considering a law that would stop any new ones from opening. Because he says three would be too much. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Stephen Basaha. All right, let's do a little summation for number 10, okay? Let's sum it up. Now, what do we want, people? We want some land? Hi, want some land? As urban neighborhoods gentrify, it can be hard for people to keep up with rising rents. Some, group, some groups are buying up land through what's called community land trusts so that longtime residents don't have to leave. Simone Rios of member station WBUR in Boston reports on how these organizations are trying to create permanent affordable housing. Tiny brick row houses cram two full city blocks just south of downtown Boston. 
The buildings recall a time when waves of new Americans settled in the area, first Arab, Jewish, and Irish families, and eventually families from China. Back in the day, there were hundreds of immigrant families living in these small properties. Lydia Lowe is a longtime community organizer in what's now known as Boston's Chinatown. And this whole area, because it was like landfill, so it was kind of stinky, um, it was also near a rail yard, it was very undesirable at the time. And so the only people who would live here were the immigrants. It would have been hard to imagine in the 1800s how these little buildings would become prime real estate. Fearing the historic homes would be lost, a group of activists got together in 2015 and formed a community land trust. That's a type of nonprofit that acquires properties with the goal of keeping them affordable for residents. A trust owns the land and rents or sells the homes on it. The first place the Chinatown Trust wanted to purchase was a three-unit row house. Lowe recalls they had to scrape together $1.7 million to beat bids from investors. We had to show that this was possible because nobody believed us. So this is Boston's first community land trust condo. More than 600 people applied to buy the three condos in the building. Among them was Meidan Lin, a 32-year-old restaurant server. Her family won a lottery to buy one of the condos, which sold for roughly a third of market value. Speaking through an interpreter, Lin says being a homeowner means her family can stay in Chinatown. There is no worrying about rent. And also, we have been accommodating to lives in Chinatown. And moving somewhere else would be a big culture shock. The community land trust model dates back more than a half a century, developed by civil rights activists and black farmers trying to protect farmland in Georgia. John Davis of the nonprofit Center for Community Land Trust Innovation says there are now more than 300 of these trusts across the U.S. And he estimates that 20 percent of them have come online over the last decade. That's because Davis says gentrification has taken a toll in many urban areas. So you really lost the diversity of people, uses, businesses that keep a neighborhood vital and vibrant. So the Community Land Trust preserves affordability for housing. And he says they can also set aside spaces for what he calls low-profit businesses, like daycares, barbershops, and artist studios. One trade-off is that people who buy homes in these land trusts won't get market rate when they sell. Davis says that's so the housing stays affordable. Let's say the city gave you a $20,000 down payment grant. You're not going to walk away with that. You know? So we're going to leave that public subsidy in the home for the next home buyer. Making less profit hasn't seemed to deter people from wanting to join. Founded just five years ago, the Houston Community Land Trust now has more than 130 homes in its portfolio. That's a tiny fraction of the city's housing stock. But these homes make a huge difference to the people who live there, says Ashley Allen, who runs the trust. Most of the people that come through our program couldn't save before. They couldn't think about a 401k or college savings plan because all of their money was going to housing. Houston's mayor, however, recently decided to slash the group's funding. And high property values are making it harder for the community land trust to buy, something that poses a problem for land trusts across the country. Still, advocates say the trusts are a permanent way to help people who are struggling to stay put, even as prices around them rise. 
For NPR News, I'm Simon Rios in Boston. And so what I was thinking was, look, this happened at this NFL game with more than 20 trained medical staff available who were able to come and immediately work on resuscitating Mr. Hamlin. But what if this happened at a youth lacrosse game or a high school softball game or a junior high karate gym or something else? Um, We need to make sure that we also have people trained in CPR. We need to make sure that we have AEDs available in those settings. And so I hope that people will take away the need for us to really look at youth sports and to make sure that we have um, we are all trained as parents, as coaches, as teachers on CPR and that we know where an AED is available in settings all around us. Earlier this year, millions watched in shock as NFL's Damar Hamlin went into sudden cardiac arrest on live TV. His life was saved, and many credit that to a quick response plan and a machine called an AED. Lawmakers in several states are now considering legislation to require AEDs in schools. But Elizabeth Gabriel reports for Side Effects Public Media, mandating these devices is a complicated decision. Jake West grew up in LaPorte, Indiana, not far from Lake Michigan. His mother, Julie West, remembers him fondly. He was just kind, and he brought other people in. He was the type of kid that if someone wasn't included, he was going to make sure that child was included. This is how he was from the time he was little. As an athlete, he passed all of his physicals, and he didn't show signs of underlying heart problems. He was a healthy kid, until one day, he wasn't. When Jake was 17, he collapsed after running a play on the football field. School staff did CPR and student trainers jumped in to help out. But he died in September 2013 from an undetected heart condition. Every child should come home from school. They should not die at school. And so schools need to be prepared for that. Incidents like these are rare, but when they do happen, they often end fatally. Only about 11% of children who suffer from sudden cardiac arrest survive. Experts like Dr. Kristen Burns with the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute said minutes, even seconds count when tending to a cardiac arrest victim. One of the most important things that promotes survival is early CPR and AED use. She's referring to an automated external defibrillator, or an AED. It's a device that sends a shock to someone's heart in order to help keep them alive. The machine provides written instructions for those who are hard of hearing and verbal commands in different languages, like this. When patient's chest is bare, remove the white square package from lid of AED. I mean, you heard how easy that to use that AED. A child could use it that could understand those directions. That's why West is in favor of the legislation lawmakers introduced during the current General Assembly to mandate all schools to have AEDs during extracurricular activities, like athletics, marching band, and theater practices and performances. It would establish a goal of accessing the devices within minutes. Laws in nearly two dozen states already have guidance for AEDs or mandates similar to the one Indiana is considering. But mandating schools to use these devices is a complicated decision. That's according to Richard Lazar, the president of Readiness Systems with the AED Law Center. People ask me all the time, should we get AEDs if we don't have to? And at a binary level, it is in most places less risky to not have AEDs than it is to have AEDs. Recently, there have been multi-million dollar lawsuits across the country after students died from cardiac arrest while at school. In some cases, the facilities had AEDs, but failed to use them. And these scenarios could deter some districts. 
What if they didn't have AEDs in the first place? Would they still be facing a lawsuit? That's why advocates have been insistent that it's not just about having an AED on the premises. And the Indiana bill would require schools to make an emergency cardiac response plan so they know where a defibrillator is located and how to use it. When Jake West died, there was an AED on campus, but it was in the coach's office and not easily accessible. Here's Jake's mom, Julie West, again. And like I said, I have said this many times, I don't judge or blame anyone in Jake's situation because we didn't, we just didn't know any better, but now we do. Now, Indiana is one of roughly nine states to introduce AED and or cardiac response plan legislation for schools this year. West wants lawmakers to approve the bill before more lives are lost on school grounds. Without a doubt, lives will be saved. Jake would still be here. My son would be 26 today here on earth, not in heaven. For SideFX Public Media, I'm Elizabeth Gabriel. Big news out of the NYPD this week. Robots are joining the police force. Three different kinds of crime-fighting robots, and they do not come cheap. We have a clip from the announcement. Let's play it. We get the best of both worlds. The fastest reflexes modern technology has to offer onboard computer-assisted memory and a lifetime of on-the-street law enforcement programming. It is my great pleasure to present to you RoboCop. Okay, sorry, that was the trailer for the 1987 film RoboCop. As Brian would say, ha-ha. Okay, for real this time, here's Mayor Adams. We are scanning the globe on finding technology that would ensure this city is safe for New Yorkers, visitors, and whomever is here in this city. This is the beginning of a series of rollouts we are going to do to show how public safety has transformed itself. Joining me now to talk about the new robots who are joining the police force is Samantha Max, my colleague on the WNYC and Gothamist Public Safety Desk. Good morning, Sam. Thanks for doing this. Hi, Matt. Samantha, you were out there um, at the press conference this week where Mayor Adams uh, unveiled these robots. Tell us about them. There are three of them. What do they do and how much do they cost? Yeah, so there are three different kinds. The first, which New Yorkers might already know, is called the DigiDog. It is a robot that looks like a dog. It can walk around. It can kind of trot. And the police department had tried out this robot a couple years ago. But then there was a video that went viral showing the DigiDog running through a public housing complex. And there was a huge public outcry. The police department canceled its contract. And now it's back. Eric Adams mm. says DigiDog is, quote, out of the pound. Uh, the police department <laughs> spent $750,000 on two of these devices. That's coming out of forfeiture money. So that's money that's seized, like, in the process of prosecuting a crime. So mm. that's going to be used for things like if there's a bomb threat or if there's a hostage situation, basically situations that are dangerous and they don't necessarily want to send police officers in right away. They can send in this robot that can kind of walk around and navigate the situation first. Mm -hmm. The second robot is called the K5. This robot, it looks kind of like a tiny rocket ship. 
It is on wheels. If you could imagine like a Roomba vacuum, it moves around like that. And it's tricked out with a bunch of cameras, sensors, microphones. And it's been used in other parts of the country, especially like in buildings that, you know, they want to have some sort of it's basically like a robot security guard. It can be on the lookout for strange things that are happening, and it is roaming around like a confined space. So that would be something like a subway station. And then the third... To, to look, can I ask, can I ask yeah. about that one? To, to, that robot would do roam around a subway station to look for what? Like, what I mean, that's he... the question. You know, I think it'll be <laughs> hard to know until we actually yeah. see it in action. But, you know, we have a lot of concerns about safety in the subway system right now. So the idea is that, you know, right now the subway systems are being flooded with cops. Maybe instead you could have robots that would be extra eyes and ears in case there's someone who is, you know, causing a havoc or fair evasion. I don't even know. We'll we'll really have to see it play out. And uh, the police department for that robot, they spent $12,250. It's just a temporary lease while they're piloting the program. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the third device, it's called the Star Chase. This is something that it looks kind of like a gun, and it's used to shoot a GPS tracking device onto a car. So if officers want to keep track of maybe a stolen car, they might see it as they're driving down the road, and instead of speeding after it in some sort of high-speed pursuit, they could use this projectile to send the GPS device onto the car and be able to watch it remotely. And that is costing the police department $19,550. And again, that is a lease for a temporary trial period. So they would (laughs) shoot a projectile at the car, which... And what... There's so many. I have so many questions about this. Like, couldn't couldn't it like go through a window and cause like an accident and 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 bodily injury? Um, could it hit like a uh, individual on the street if the if the projectile didn't go the right way? Um, could the device just be removed from the car by the person who's uh, theoretically stealing the car? Uh, were these questions? Did these questions come up? Were they answered satisfactorily? I mean, these questions didn't really come up. It was a pretty quick press conference to Uh show off the robots and then move on. But these are all great questions. And if you think about all kinds of police technology, on the one hand, you know, there's the task that it's supposed to accomplish. And then on the other hand, there are the ways that it can actually be used or misused. And if you think about tasers, for instance, that's something that is, again, a projectile that police are supposed to be able to shoot in order to, you know, stop someone from moving. But we know that a lot of times tasers don't work either because you're at the wrong angle. It doesn't connect to someone's skin in the way that it's supposed to. So again, this is the kind of thing where you would really need the right set of circumstances for officers to be able to aim properly and for everything to work out. And uh, the Digidog, I want to go back. Is that how you say Digidog? Is that how you say it? Digidog, yep. Yeah. Also known as Spot. Spot. Okay, so Spot. Uh, As you mentioned, Mayor de Blasio had tried to bring Spot into the force uh, two years ago, and then they they cut him loose. I was reading last night 
uh, old clip, and his spokesman said at the time uh, that spot is creepy, alienating, <laughs> and sends the wrong message uh, to New Yorkers. Did Adams address the previous backlash and say why spot is is needed now? Yeah, I mean, he said that he's more of a computer geek than de Blasio, and he pretty much criticized people who had caused the uproar that led the police department to stop using this technology. He feels pretty strongly that he thinks it's a good idea. Also, the fire department has been using DigiDog more recently, and apparently they've had some success. So I think that also played a role in convincing the NYPD to try out this technology again. What, what is the, how is the fire department using Spot? I actually don't know. I've reached out to the fire department and hmm. they did not respond to my requests. I know one advantage of Spot compared to like the, you know, the, the robots that dismantle potential bombs, which I think we're all familiar with, is that mm -hmm. Spot can go upstairs, which mm -hmm. seems like a relative, it seems like something that could be useful in New York City. Um, but I'm still having trouble picturing exactly what scenarios Spot could be used in um, as opposed to having an actual, you know, human being approach yeah. any sort of crime scene. I mean, one example that I read about was there were hostages that had been taken and the DigiDog actually, like, delivered them food. So it's the kind mm. of situation where, you know, if it's dangerous for police to go in, then you could send in this robot instead. And something else that I'm wondering about is I spent the last three years reporting on things in Tennessee where we had a lot of guns around and a lot of situations where police were nervous about interacting with folks with guns. So I am curious to see if there are situations like we actually saw with the NYPD just this week, a few situations where someone is armed and they're trying to de-escalate a situation. If maybe you could send in the DigiDog, I'm I'm curious to see logistically how these kinds of things would work out. But, sure. you know, there there are potentially situations where something like this could be used to de-escalate a situation. But on the flip side, some advocates that I spoke to were wondering if the robot could actually escalate situations. Something that the police department had mentioned was sending it into situations with someone who might be in the midst of a mental health crisis. And yeah. would a robot put them at ease or would it just scare them and Freak confuse them, them more for sure and, and would these would the digidog actually make physical contact with a with a suspect that that's not really what it does it can't like physically disarm somebody right? i am not as aware as of those capabilities <laughs> yeah. but i'll be curious to find out more Black Maternal Health Week, a time that highlights the disparities in health care that are present, particularly for black moms. Dr. Wendy McDonald is joining us now with more. Thanks for joining us. This is such an important conversation. Is it access to health care? Is it education? Is it all of the above? It's all of the above. Okay. And sprinkle in a little bit of bias and implicit, you know, racism and, and implicit bias, because unfortunately, there is a lack of education when it comes to what our bodies are doing, like mm -hmm. our own self-awareness, but there's also a 
lack of listening to patients and listening to people who are having particular issues, recognizing signs of high blood pressure or preeclampsia, recognizing blood clots. Serena Williams had a blood clot mm -hmm. and said, I don't feel right, and was ignored initially. Oh, um, hemorrhage is one of those things that we have to act on quickly and you can't just say oh she's fine we need to make sure she's fine yeah. yeah and it really is a simple check the numbers here are staggering and i had to make sure i read this correctly so that i get it right pregnancy associated mortality ratio was almost six times higher for black women compared to white women and two times higher for latino women than black women yes that's in chicago those are chicago statistics so the pregnancy associated mortality is 98 per 100,000 women for black women wow. um, which is a comparison to 17 per 100,000 women when it comes to white women in chicago dying. And dying 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 and unfortunately that's like three times the national average it's wow. pretty bad here now, there are some additional uh, statistics associated with that. People who are of high school education or less are more vulnerable. People of lower socioeconomic status, so who make less money essentially, mm -hmm. are more vulnerable, which means that we need to actually pay more attention to those communities, increase our surveillance, increase our education, and actually increase our information with regards to pregnancy prevention because some of these pre pregnancies are not intentional pregnancies. Okay. So we also have to look at this as a multifaceted thing, yeah. and our providers need better education when it comes to racism and bias training. And so what are some of the disorders that are affecting more black women than they are white women? It's high blood pressure, okay. which can lead to preeclampsia. Mm -hmm. I myself was pregnant with my first son, had zero symptoms, and had stroke-level blood pressures. <gasps> really? Stroke-level. I was 26. I had no other risk factors other than this skin that I have, unfortunately. Wow. And so there are ways, though, to prevent that. Something as simple as a low-dose aspirin started at the first part of the pregnancy can help to prevent preeclampsia for those who are at higher risk, which are women of color wow. and who have never been pregnant before, who are, you know, in certain categories. And that's something that we need to tell people. Like, mm -hmm, people don't mm -hmm. always automatically know that or think, like, oh, I should be just taking a low-dose aspirin every day. But providers need to be educating people, and patients need to understand, too, that this is something that's, that's preventable. Mm. I'm surprised at the number of women who don't seek medical attention when they find out that they are pregnant, yes. because a lot of that could also be prevented. 100%. Because so many things in pregnancy are silent. Mm. You literally have no symptoms. You know, I told you myself. My third pregnancy, I had something called cholestasis of pregnancy, which is a liver condition that can actually lead to stillbirth. Oh no gosh. symptoms other than some mild itching that like everybody in pregnancy has. How would I know? Because I've got labs checked. How did I know I had preeclampsia? Because I had my blood pressure checked. Because I worked at a hospital. Yeah. But if you don't go see your provider, yeah. and if your provider isn't watching for these things, and if you're not getting those those checks, you may not know that you're at high risk. Well, because yeah. let's face it, especially the first time you're pregnant, pregnancy's weird. Your body goes through weird things. You don't know what's weird or what's wrong. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can think like, oh, this is just normal. Right. There was a woman who passed away some years ago who said she could not breathe. She felt like her baby was crushing her from the inside. Three days later, she was dead. Oh, she had a heart, a heart condition that led to that. But had she been seen and had her doctor investigated, that could have been prevented, you know? So yeah. it's, it's things like that that, unfortunately, we need to take this multifaceted approach in order to mm -hmm. reduce these, the, these risks. Let's go back to something else you talked about, education and pregnancy prevention. Yes. There are some preventative measures out there that are getting a bad rap. 100% when we talk about birth control. It's like, ooh, booga booga, like you can't talk about birth control. However, there are very safe 
and effective mm -hmm. contraceptions, birth control methods. And when we think about some of the risks associated with birth control, it's like, okay, there are risks of blood clots, there sure. are risks of high blood pressure, but those same risks are like tripled or quadrupled in pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So it's like, which risk take are we going to take? You yeah, know take what I mean? And so, and so it's just a matter of really heightening that those conversations, mm. improving trust, and, and just really getting deeper into those conversations because otherwise we're just in the line of fire and don't even realize it. Mm. Well, and I didn't even realize until I was much older that there's hormonal and non-hormonal methods birth of birth control. Yes, too. there are. There are. There are completely non-hormonal contraceptive methods. There are hormonal ones, obviously. There are some that are implants, some that you take, some that you just use at the time of, you know, the, the party. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like you really can, and you can pick whatever choice you want as long as you know that you have choices. Yes. yes. Oh, that's the whole key. Education. Mm -hmm. Dr. Education. Wendy Preach. We love it. Check her out on social media. She's always got a good story yes. to tell. <laughs> and in a way that you'll walk away smiling. I love it. <laughs> Dr. Wendy, thanks so much. You can see her on Dr. Every Woman social media handles, loopobgyn.com also. Thank you. Uh, I don't want us to lose sight that things are getting better. Each successive generation uh, seems to be making progress in changing attitudes when it comes to race. doesn't mean we're in a post-racial society. It doesn't mean that racism is eliminated. But you know, when I talk to Malia and Sasha, uh, and I listen to their friends, and I see them interact, uh, they're better than we are. They're better than we were on these issues. And that's true in every community uh, that I've visited all across the country. In just the last 90 minutes, we learned a middle school teacher is under investigation, accused of not reporting a racist attack in her classroom. She allegedly did not stop some students from calling a black student the N-word and referring to that student as a slave and then whipping that student with a belt. The girl's parents are furious. Channel 2's Taisha Fernandez is live in Gwinnett County outside of Radloff Middle School. And Ty, you found out the students kept saying racially charged things on social media after all of this. Wendy, you would think that these kids would be remorseful after they got suspended and were criminally charged, but it certainly doesn't seem that way. They were making light of the situation on social media, and they were asking other students where the victim lives. Sickening. Cameron Madison said his daughter, who attends Radloff Middle School in Duluth, has been dealing with a group of Hispanic kids calling her the N-word for months. But things went too far on March 30th when his daughter told her parents two boys assaulted and humiliated her in their eighth grade class. She was sitting with a Hispanic child and the, the other Hispanic child approached one and said, how much for your monkey? The child responded, $450. Then the, the main child said, all right, looked at my daughter and said, all right, I own you now. Uh, do my homework, slave. My daughter refused. That's when one of the boys started whipping her with a belt. The victim said her teacher witnessed the assault. She not only saw it, she actually made the request for them to leave her alone. But they didn't. According to the victim, they hit her with the belt again. The teacher didn't discipline the boys or report the incident to administrators. The victim's parents spoke with the principal the next day, who quickly suspended the students, pressed criminal charges, and launched an investigation into the teacher. The principal also sent out this letter to parents calling the attack despicable. One of the suspended students posted that letter on social media with a comment that said, quote, they're acting like I killed someone. I didn't even hit that hard. 
The victim's parents say this is so much deeper than the physical attack. I don't think time heals wounds when it comes to racism. Now, a spokesperson for the district said it's unfortunate that this incident is casting a negative light on this school because most of the students here would never do this. They said most of the students foster the culture of acceptance and understanding. Live here in Gwinnett County in Duluth, Taisha Fernandez, Channel 2 Action News. I think that, um, you know, as a physician, I would not say to a parent, do not get your child vaccinated or do that it is the parent's choice because there are many children i talked to a person in my office a short while ago and this young woman was saying that she didn't have her children vaccinated and that a number of her friends and her acquaintances had children who were autistic uh, so people are very worried and very concerned. And to the extent that biological warfare weapons are made and certain populations are targeted, it's a tragedy that people have to have these kinds of concerns. So I tell people that they have to, you know, they have to consult their inner person get as much information as they can, but the decision is theirs. I mean, can you imagine a physician encouraging a parent to have the child vaccinated, and then the child turns out to be autistic? And when I was training in child psychiatry, 1966 to 1968, in Washington, D.C., at Children's Hospital, Department of Psychiatry, Autism was so rare that I had a child was assigned to me that was autistic, and this was a white child. And it was so rare to see a case of autism that all of the psychiatrists and physicians would come to look at this child because you would hardly ever see a child that was autistic. But now things are quite different. And so there has to be some explanation as to why, and autism is a very, very serious and disabling developmental condition. A Gwinnett County family wants a principal to resign and be charged after they say he broke their child's leg while attempting to calm the child down. The troubling incident involves a nine-year-old, and it happened at W.J. Cooper Elementary School yesterday in Lawrenceville. The principal claims he, another administrator, and a student were attacked by the child. Fosterize Anjali Proctor is at Cooper Elementary School Live, sorting this all out, Angelique. Well, good afternoon, Christine. Uh, Dr. Lisa Shell tells me that she wanted her child to come here to Cooper Elementary School because of the excellent reputation the school has academically. But she says yesterday when she heard a doctor say that her child's leg was broken, she regretted ever bringing her child to the school. This is what I stomped on it. Why did he stomp on it? Trying to restrain me. 
Dr. Lisa Shell, who works at Cooper Elementary School, says she received a call to abruptly take her nine-year-old son home Tuesday after a disciplinary incident. She started videotaping the child who she says has emotional issues and is on the autism spectrum as he explained that the principal, Paul Willis, allegedly broke his leg while attempting to calm the fourth grader down. It happened in the school's behavioral recovery room. Realizing her son was injured, Dr. Shell rushed him to Northside Gwinnett Hospital and kept asking questions. Miss, who pinned you on the wall? Was anybody else in the room? The mom who works at the school as a detention supervisor recalled what her son finally told her when they got in the car. I said, you're still limping. And then they weren't there. He said, mommy, Principal Willis stomped on my leg. And I said, he did what? Mr. Willis started throwing me around the room. And then he stomped on my leg. He was trying to get out the room and they pinned him up so he has a broken tibia. The physician's assistant at the hospital immediately called police since they are mandatory reporters. Gwinnett County School Police and DFACS are now investigating. While Dr. Shell, who says she was reprimanded by the principal just last month for intervening when her son had another issue, feels like she has let her son down. I wanted him there for, for school, for academics, because he's so smart. But I never thought that this would happen to him. So, yeah, I feel like I failed him. I didn't protect him. Principal Willis sent out a letter to parents and staff saying the nine-year-old continued to act out, hitting, kicking, and biting the other administrator and me. He went on to say physical attacks on students and staff will not be tolerated. While Dr. Shell and her husband want the principal to resign and be charged criminally. I think it's time for him to go because he's not caring about the children the way he should. And if, and if now we're at the point where we're breaking children's legs, there's a problem. Something's, something, something in the system is broken. Now we want to point out that the principal in his letter also indicated that no staff intentionally harmed this child. The fourth grader has been suspended and his transfer that allowed him to attend this school has been revoked. We are live in Gwinnett County. Angelique Proctor, Fox 5 News. I'm going, going back, back to Cali, Cali. I'm going, going back, back to Cali, Cali. It is clear that the Antioch Police Department has treated that community like a war zone and the community members as though they were hostiles. Attorney Carmela Carmagno represents Treon Pugh. His arrest two years ago in an attempted shooting is now part of a new investigation. A 14-page report prepared by the Contra Costa County District Attorney's Office and obtained by ABC7 News reveals a series of text messages exchanged between Antioch police officers as they relate to both his case and others. Officer Eric Rombo texted, so many black people. Officer Jonathan Adams replies, bro, they all look the same. Rombo, tell me about it. 
I feel like I'm at the zoo. I hate these idiots. But the 14-page report shows that my client and one other individual uh, were not only compounded with overarching racial hatred, but they were specifically targeted during the course of the investigation. Six days into their investigation, there was this exchange. Officer Rombo, bro, my foot hurts, LOL. Officer Adams, did you kick the guy? Rombo, yep, like an expletive field goal. The report also documents officers taking pictures of Pew's naked backside while he was hospitalized and texted those photos as well. Caramagno believes, given the number of officers involved, they could be considered a police gang under California law. Government Code 1029 and uh, Penal Code Section 13670. And uh, it seems to me that a lot of what we have uh, meets the definition of a law enforcement gang. Approximately 40% of Antioch police officers are engaging in these vile text chains. At least 45 officers are on the checks chains of what's been disclosed thus far. 16 of them are in leadership roles or higher level roles such as detective or sergeant. Ellen McDonald, the chief public defender for Contra Costa County, says she's calling on the district attorney to dismiss all Antioch cases and review the thousands of prior convictions by the Antioch Police Department. And that's because there simply cannot be trust or confidence in the police work coming out of the Antioch Police Department, knowing that officers are falsifying their police reports, that they're targeting and brutalizing black and brown members of the community. In Antioch, Ansar Hassan, ABC 7 News. ABC 7 News reached out to the lawyers representing the police officers. They did not provide... Uh, provide a request for comment. I beg pardon. I beg pardon. Texas Governor Greg Abbott says he's working swiftly on a possible pardon. That would be for convicted murderer and Army Sergeant Daniel Perry. Friday, a jury found Perry guilty of fatally shooting Garrett Foster, a man who had been taking part in a Black Lives Matter protest back in 2020. But in Texas, the governor can't issue a pardon all on his own. For more on this, we're joined by the Texas Newsroom's Julian Aguilar. Hey, Julian. Thank you for having me on. So tell us more about this case. So who is Army Sergeant Daniel Perry? And who was the man he's convicted of killing, Garrett Foster? So Daniel Perry, he's a sergeant in the United States military, and he was convicted of murdering Garrett Foster, as you just said. Perry was driving an Uber in July 2020 when Foster was participating in a Black Lives Matter protest in Austin. This followed the murder by police officers of George Floyd. So Foster was carrying an AK-47 long rifle, which is legal in Texas. Um, Perry said Foster raised his weapon, but some witnesses said that was not the case. So Perry, who was also armed, shot and killed Foster. Now, under Texas law, the Castle Doctrine, a Texan can use deadly force to defend themselves or their property at home, work, or in this case, in an automobile. That was Perry's main defense, that he felt threatened. Mm. Uh, but the jury only returned its verdict last week, and Perry is still awaiting sentencing. We know Abbott can't issue a pardon on his own the way a U.S. president could, for instance. Um, and so how does it work? How, what's the process in Texas? Right, that's correct. So the governor, like you said, can't unilaterally pardon someone without a recommendation from the state's uh, Board of Pardon and Paroles. So in a tweet over the weekend, Governor Abbott made it clear that he'd like the board whose member he appoints, whose members he appoints, excuse me, to review that case to see if Perry should be granted a pardon. 
Um, it's unclear how long that review would take, but Abbott has said, has said that he's asked the board members to fast track this review and that he would approve this recommendation as soon as it, quote, hits his desk, according to his tweet. Mm. Um, it's also worth noting that the board rejected a posthumous pardon for George Floyd, who was convicted of a minor drug conviction in 2004 when he lived in Texas. Hmm. And according to data from the Nonpartisan Council on Criminal Justice, the board recommended 53 clemency grants in 2020 and 75 in 2021. Out of all of those, uh, Abbott only granted 15. What are you hearing in terms of reaction to this effort to pardon Perry? You know, the common theme out there, you know, among legal experts is that this is unprecedented. Uh, again, Perry hasn't even been sentenced yet, much less gone through the appeals process. And when the governor does grant clemency, it's usually very late in the year, you know, right around December, close to the holiday season. Travis County District Attorney Jose Garza uh, called Abbott's words deeply troubling and said a jury decides whether a defendant is guilty or innocent and not the governor. Um, you know, but it's obvious that Abbott feels pressure from conservative groups and commentators like Fox News host Tucker Carlson. Carlson uh, called the verdict a legal atrocity, and he called Abbott out for not appearing on the news show. So less than 24 hours later, during Easter weekend, Abbott called for the board to review this conviction. Julian Aguilar of the Texas Newsroom. Julian, thanks so much. Police in L.A., man, they got a chokehold they use on motherfuckers. Do they do it here? They choke you to death? That's some weird shit. Because I didn't know it was a death penalty to have a parking ticket. <laughs> you know what I mean? They'll choke a motherfucker's life. Hey, wait, that means you be dead. <laughs> Two grab your legs, one grab your head, they go, snap! Oh, shit, he broke. <laughs> can you break them? Does it say so in the manual? Let's check. Yep, page eight, you can break a nigger, see? <laughs> Good work, man. Good work. Good work, indeed. Let's get going. We begin with breaking news this afternoon. We learned about two hours ago the Marion County Prosecutor's Office is charging two IMPD officers with reckless homicide in the death of Herman Whitfield III. Our Rich and I just finished talking to the prosecutor. And Rich, what can you tell us? Good afternoon, Gina. We're downtown uh, just outside the city county building. Just came from the prosecutor's office. Talking with Prosecutor Ryan Mears about a grand jury indictment of two IMPD officers for their roles in the death of Herman Whitfield III. This was a man who died in police custody last April 25th uh, after a call for a mental health crisis in his home. We can show you some of the police body cam video. In this incident, Herman Whitfield III was tasered twice by Officer Steven Sanchez. That officer, along with Officer Adam Ahmad, have been charged with involuntary manslaughter, reckless homicide, and battery. Sanchez has also been charged uh, as part of activating that taser. That is one of the battery charges that he faces. There were six officers on the scene early that morning on April 25th. Only these two officers face a grand jury indictment, and the prosecutor tells us that only these two officers will be indicted or face any criminal charges. He asked us today to remember the Whitfield family. So I just hope people remember the Whitfield family. They've been through a lot throughout this entire process. Uh, this case and this situation has taken an incredible toll on them. Uh, and I just hope people understand that this is just the first stage of the criminal justice process. They're going to need that love and support uh, for many years to come. 
And here you are seeing Gladys and Herman Whitfield Jr., the parents of Herman Whitfield III. They were in, uh, Herman Whitfield III was in their home. They called for help for a mental health crisis that evening. Herman was in the house, uh, acting unusual, uh, at times yelling. And that evening, early in the morning hours, police entered their home. They were hoping to just get him to a hospital with ambulance. Instead, again, Herman Whitfield III was tasered twice. His death was eventually ruled a homicide by the coroner. And now two IMPD officers have been indicted by a grand jury. Again, Officer Stephen Sanchez and Adam Ahmad faces charges of involuntary manslaughter, reckless homicide, and battery. We are seeking reaction from both IMPD today and the Whitfield family, and we hope to have the very latest for you tonight, beginning at 13 News at 5 o'clock. And, of course, we'll keep you updated throughout the day at WTHR.com. All right. Gina? Thank you very much, Rich. We will talk to you then. Thanks for that live report. IMPD just issued this statement less than 10 minutes ago. It says that Mr. Whitfield's death was a tragedy for all involved, and our thoughts continue to be with those impacted by his loss. IMPD also says that the officers involved, including those indicted, remain on paid administrative duty status while the internal process continues. IMPD also continued to say that with anyone under indictment, the officers should be considered innocent until proven in a court of law. And we are digging through these charges right now. We are talking with prosecutors about this decision, as Rich mentioned, about the, to charge these officers. We'll have an update on air and on our mobile app as we learn more. And of course, coming up at five o'clock. You know, this is the first time that Effie and I have been able to walk back and forth to each other's house in three years. Folks living in a northwest Albuquerque neighborhood say they feel safer tonight, knowing that one of their neighbors won't be coming back anytime soon. They say that man harassed and threatened them for years, and recently one of those threats turned to violence. Brianna Wilson explains why the neighbors are finally breathing a sigh of relief today. State of New Mexico versus... Bradley Wiley. Sitting quietly for his virtual hearing in district court today, Bradley Wiley waited for a judge to decide whether he would stay in jail or go free. He's charged with aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. That weapon, a sword, police say he used to carve the N-word into his neighbor's driveway. What would be the best case scenario here? That, that they get their 72-hour psych referral done, they do their psych stuff. And maybe we can get him somewhere that in a few months he may be squared away enough that they can let him go to a halfway house or something. I just hope the system works for uh, I and him. To what Robert Witt and Vincent Peel hoped would happen for their troubled neighbor, a judge agreed, keeping Wiley behind bars for now. On a psych evaluation, that, um, that should be considered um, 
you know, sufficient to be not necessarily grant the release, but at least to be considered. But not without argument from Wiley's attorney for why he should be released. While the allegations about the racial slur are um, unfortunate and offensive, they're not dangerous in the sense of a violent act. As to the allegations regarding the sword, in reviewing the discovery and reviewing the complaint here, the nature of what type of threat is alleged is not really clear to me. The state prosecutor and judge didn't think so. But still, there is an African-American neighbor. There's um, Mr. Witt and uh, and the threat with the sword that um, it, it wasn't used just to, to engrave on the sidewalk. Mr. Wiley raised it over his head. Um, and threatened Mr. Witts. And I'm wondering why he hasn't been charged for a hate crime, because that's how this swore charge uh, generated. Peel says he feels safer, knowing Wiley is not living across the street from him right now. And he was even able to have his grandkids over for this past holiday weekend. Great this Easter, have my family come over for that little bit of period of time with some rest, some comfort and peace. In Northwest Albuquerque, Brianna Wilson, KOB4. As of tonight, Wiley has not been charged with a hate crime. Now, once he has his court-ordered psych evaluation, the judge may reconsider keeping him behind bars. This question, why is this stuff happening? The New York Times article, I mean, editorial today. The Trump effect. See, this is what I'm doing with my money, buying newspapers like Dick Gregory. <laughs> The Trump effect and how it spreads. It says we are on the brink, under, under Trump, on the brink of fascism. New York Times, all the news that's fit to print, editorial 1210-2015. I say fascism is in-stage white supremacy. So you I mean, just like in Nazi Germany. Fascism, system of racism, white supremacy, determined to survive. Exclusive new details tonight on 11 and 11. The man accused of stabbing two people in downtown Pittsburgh is accused of a similar violent attack in Beaver County earlier this week. Now, we first told you today, police say a man named Chris Boswell stabbed two people near 6th Avenue in Smithfield. Police say it was a racially motivated attack. Both of those people expected to be okay. Boswell was taken into custody. But before that attack in the heart of downtown Pittsburgh, court records say Boswell was responsible for a similar attack only four days ago in New Brighton in Beaver County. And Channel 11 News reporter Christine Dean. Antonio spoke exclusively with one of those victims. And Christine, she says she can finally rest easy knowing that Boswell is behind bars tonight. Yeah, absolutely, David. This is a huge relief for her. In fact, the woman that I spoke with today said that she had no idea that the man who attacked her friend in New Brighton is the same man that police say stabbed two people in downtown Pittsburgh. Before 37-year-old Chris Boswell allegedly stabbed two men in downtown Pittsburgh Thursday night, he reportedly terrorized neighbors here in New Brighton, Beaver County on Monday night. It's been hard sleeping and focusing and not worrying if it's going to happen again. 
This victim of Chris Boswell's didn't want to show her face on camera, but shared the terrifying chain of events that happened Monday evening when she and a friend saw Boswell in the 900 block of 3rd Avenue while they were taking a walk. We passed this gentleman um, down by a bar. He was obviously intoxicated and he was asking us where the bar was, which he was standing right next to it. She and her friend finished their walk and then sat outside on the porch of her Grove Avenue home when they saw Boswell again. Approximately an hour or so since we had crossed his path and my friend had gone to leave and this gentleman has, was coming past my house and he went for the road for my friend and raised his hand with a knife in his hand. The criminal complaint says that's when Boswell attacked the man with a knife, slashing him between his finger and thumb. That man was able to get away, and Boswell reportedly walked to Stuber Road, close to where his address is listed on the criminal complaint. There, Boswell was disoriented and stumbling, according to a man who saw him here. When the Good Samaritan stopped to ask Boswell if he was okay, Boswell reportedly threatened him, saying, quote, Do you want to die tonight? New Brighton police were able to identify Boswell after viewing surveillance footage from Fisher's Beverage and Jimmy Kay's bar tracing him to the crimes. It's unclear how or why, but Boswell apparently made it to downtown Pittsburgh Thursday night around 11, where police say he was intoxicated and violent. Pittsburgh police say Boswell, who is white, stabbed two black men along 6th Avenue between Smithfield Street and Coffee Way. The police report says Boswell told officers, quote, I was told to kill all of the black people. I stabbed those N-words. They deserve to die, end quote. I don't like to come down here at night anytime after five or six. The business people go away, and it seems like we have more of an influx of homeless people and people that are destroying this city a lot more. Boswell was arrested and put in jail. A small comfort to those who worry about what he could do next. I do, definitely. But it, it's sad that others had to get hurt after that. Like, how many has he hurt? Well, Boswell remains here at the Allegheny County Jail tonight with no option for bail. Pittsburgh police have said that he is a threat to the public and have asked that he remain here in jail until his hearing. Reporting live outside of the Allegheny County Jail tonight, I'm Christine D'Antonio, Channel 11 News. All right. A B Q to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. White men, swords, knives. Be alert. Context of white supremacy, the worthless Negro from Virginia, Gus T. Renegade, and for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Saturday, April 15, 2023. So I have been told our weekly compensatory call in not for spectators. If you have commentary uh, thoughts on what has happened over the last seven days or so, approximately counter racist suggestions, questions, feel free. The number to dial 605-313-5164. The code five six four nine four three pound press star six one if you would like to participate <clears throat> number again six oh five three one three 
564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Few things before we get started. One, I totally neglected. This should have been yesterday. All that about uh, Connor Sturgeon, the 25-year-old white gunman, Louisville, got notice that he was going to be terminated at the bank. Man, you're a 25-year-old white man. You can get another job. You can be like Mark Furman, GED, high school dropout, no count, drug addict, white man. 25, like, oh my God, the world is your oyster, your plantation, really, metaphor. Like, what in the world? Get another job, take some time off, mistreat some non-white people, like what? You got to go shoot up everybody at the bank at 25? Anywho, uh, so Connor Sturgeon, I'm not making any excuses. He killed five people, wounded eight others. I don't even know the racial classification of all the victims uh, for the folks here. I don't think they got tons of black people that work at the bank, though. So, mm. But I'm not making any excuses for him. But I saw a report pretty quickly. This happened Monday. I saw this days ago where his dad said, we are getting his brain tested for CTE. What in the DeMar Hamlin? Haven't we been talking about this all year? Didn't I say I'm going to the brain scientist convention this November? White people permitting. Now I'm not making excuses. I'm just reading what's in the report here. <clears throat> the gunman behind the Louisville bank shooting will be tested posthumously for chronic traumatic encephalopathy CTE his father said Connor Sturgeon's family have said that he suffered from mental health challenges but showed no warning signs of what he planned to do before he carried out the shooting at the old National Bank on Monday now I'm skipping down just to get to the part about the okay here we go Sturgeon grew up in an Indiana in Indiana and attended Floyd Central High School in Floyd Knobs. Have to check to see if that is a so-called sundown town racially restricted region. Indiana is very heavy clan territory. We've done whole programs about that. James Lowen wrote about that in so-called sundown towns. It continues uh, where he was a star athlete playing basketball, football, and running track, but he also reportedly suffered many concussions. On Thursday, Sturgeon's father confirmed to WLKY that the family will have Sturgeon tested for CTE. CTE is a brain disease caused in part by repeated traumatic brain injuries, including concussions and non-concussive impacts, according to the Boston University CTE Center. Symptoms of CTE can appear years after the sufferer is dealt repeated blows to the head and can include mood and behavior problems, including aggression and depression. Sturgeon's history of concussions was first revealed by a former classmate who told the Daily Beast that he was injured to the point of wearing a helmet on the basketball court, which is unusual. The big thing I keep going back to is that in the first year of high school, we played together in the eighth grade. He was out 
most of the year because he had multiple concussions, said the former classmate who did not want to be named. Then he had a couple more in high school. The classmate said he wondered if his injuries were linked to Monday's shooting. I'm not saying it's the cause, but I always think back to that. There were times I'd wonder, will this catch up with him? But never in this way, he said. I'm just going to stop right there. They actually have pictures with him playing basketball with this helmet device on his head, which I, I, I have wasted many, many hours, probably at this juncture, thousands of hours watching ball games. You do not see people wearing any sort of protective headgear to play basketball. Maybe if they've broken a nose, they'll have face gear, but like on my skull, you do not see that ever in basketball. They have pictures of him wearing this device, and they said concussions in middle school. That caught my attention because some of the programs that we had right after DeMar Hamlin this year multiple white people who studied the brain. We had white neuroscientists on this program who said, hey, critical period. Your brain is still developing all the way up into your 20s. Critical development is happening in your teens. Maybe we shouldn't have anybody playing tackle football 14 years or younger. This sort of thing. And even saying that, talked about this exactly saying, hey, you get those sub-concussive hits bopped in the head. Maybe it's not a concussion, but you keep getting hit in the head, keep getting hit in the head, keep getting hit in the head, having concussions, and then repeat concussions. That's even more dangerous. And all this at a young age when your brain computer is still developing, things don't develop correctly at critical periods. All of that is in literature by white people. Duh, black people aren't as informed about this, and that was stated directly too. That's the sort of thing that you should not have your child ever playing football, no mad, no nothing, no tackle football ever for any reason. Nothing is more important than your brain computer. We're too ignorant to grasp that because we don't know. That was in the literature. We don't know. Right out of the code book. Black people are stupid. Non-white people are stupid. That's a part of being victims. But hey smarten up nothing is more important than your brain computer not a scholarship not exercise nothing is more important than your brain computer certainly not a white man's ball game keep your black children males and females because they want the female fans to and you say hey you can get out there and kick the field goals and Keep your children away from tackle football. No video games, no watching it, no nothing. Protect your brain computer. You see that. You pointed out. And I wouldn't even say see that. Brain damage. These are going to be people that don't even know their name. And all the rest of it. You can point at Antonio Brown and all that and say, now look at that there. Brain damage. November. Brain Science Convention. Now reports that we did here oh wait a minute Dr. Thomas Oates was with us this past Sunday we were talking about white people's ball games there as well 
he started off that program saying my definition wasn't accurate because I leave out no counts, sellouts and things like old Clarence Thomas. Justice Clarence Thomas again on this week when he's been in the news every day. We got to make him resign. He's got to quit. He's so corrupt. Oh, what are we going to do with that no count? Justice Thomas Negroes ruin it all. Black males ruin it all. We should have never let him here in the first place. Anita Hill was right. Every day this week. Yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Who was most to blame again? System of white supremacy? It can't be Clarence Thomas. America's blackest child. It can't be. So important. Fundamentals in terms of racism, white supremacy, non-white people are not the problem. I don't care what Benjamin Crump did this week. I don't care what kind of new do Al Sharpton has. Non-white people are not the problem. Even the Obamas. Get lured into the people like Dr. Oates. That's how we get conditioned to focus our time and energy. Frustration with other non-white people. Shadow fighting, as Mr. Fuller said. We love it. We love it, love it, love it. Sport enjoyed by all. Coon of the week. Let's see. Okay, some of the reports that we did here go through and then we'll nab folks who have thoughts, observations, questions. Uh, we heard the report, King Charles across the pond in the UK, they're going to investigate England's relationship to so-called slavery. Uh, you can go back, even reminded me, one of the programs, you can go back, the Zong, James Wilden live from England. He was a guest on the program in 2016. He talked about Liverpool, England. They have all the great soccer teams and everything, but he talked about that town's opulence is directly related to the torture and terrorism of black people. We went in. He tried to do the same thing. Say, yeah, you got Clarence Thomas and black people that we're involved in this. You can't just say it's all white people, Gus. That's what James Wildman said way back all those years ago. And I said, so Liverpool came up, right? They got gold encrusted toilets and everything, right? He said, oh, yeah, you got to see the gold toilets here. It's amazing. I said, okay, so where Clarence Thomas and the black people that are responsible for this, where are their gold encrusted toilets and towns that got gold sidewalks? Because these Negroes came up from slavery. Still waiting for such a place. Maybe Clarence Thomas, Justice Thomas, maybe he got the gold toilets, y'all think? Maybe? That's why they wanted to reside mad. Let's see. Uh, slavery is not the issue. All of that important, right? Not devaluing, but slavery is not the issue. Even for me, reparations is not the issue. Especially with inflation, even if they decide to cut a, a check to all of the niggers in the world. With inflation and them still controlling currency and finance in the system of white supremacy, that doesn't solve the problem. The issue is permanently replace white supremacy with justice. That's what we want. Not, we're sorry. Not, here's a check. Not, we made a building. Not, we're going to change the name of the ship and call it something replace white supremacy with justice. We're going to call the Navy ship the Robert Small and get on here and tell nigger jokes? Like, come on. Uh, Let's see. Incidentally, from that report, even though, again, I'm not all on slavery, that's not the issue. White supremacy, racism, 
is slavery ongoing worldwide slavery by another name they got whole books called that right but man when they brought on <clears throat> Niambi Hall Campbell she's the dean chairperson of the committee for reparations uh, down in trying to think of which specific, the Bahamas that's where it was <clears throat> when she started talking about the health impact of slavery white supremacy racism I wrote it down before she even said it because we had the program earlier this year talking about the impact of sugar. I think it was Henry in Chicago where he said that his care mate said they went to the African-American Museum in Washington, D.C. And they saw they I guess they have an exhibit that talks about the sugarcane plantations and all the torture that was heaped on black people. She said, I'm done. No more sugar for me. Never again. I'm leaving it alone. Everything will be bitter from now on. I said, wow, that is <laughs> she must have seen some incredible terrorism there. That is worldwide. They got whole books. Sugar in the Blood talks about that down in the Caribbean. When we had our guest on from Jamaica, well, she was born in Jamaica earlier this year. And I said, man, diabetes. And she said, oh, my God, it's extraordinary down there. She said her father died from diabetes. He had to have a leg amputated. Her mother suffers from diabetes as well, but she controls it with her diet. She said her dad was addicted to sweets. All of that is white supremacy racism because black people were not eating all that sugar prior to the invading race soldiers. And that is worldwide. They were talking about the Bahamas and they said the exact same thing. That's where the sugarcane plantations. You're not going to be eating rich vegetables, spinach, bok choy, okra, yam. Get sugar water, whatever. Be lucky if you get that. Gruel will put some sugar on that. World, haven't we heard that before? Haven't we heard that before? You go to the dollar store and get you some old knockoff Oreo cookies and knockoff Kool Aid. Haven't we heard that before? Maybe that's just me. Uh, what I had heard before, they got the robot dogs in New York. That, oh yeah, heard that before. They were talking about that in LA these major urban hubs right uh and now new york city and man it's not lost on me they're talking about our former president donald trump being prosecuted uh by attorney bragg black male and then with this week letitia james suing trump and his business for fraud attorney general black female letitia james in new york not lost on me at all all of these black people even the dynamics of that that's why i said i wouldn't be surprised at all white people seeing that got all these black people out here going after our president we need to get him back to the white house so I have been saying DeSantis 2024 but all these black people going after Trump hmm have to note that anyway uh, they got the robot dogs in New York being ushered in on Mayor Eric Adams watch as they say black male Mayor Eric Adams who formerly with the New York Police Department so a lot of people had talked about that from the beginning they said having these dogs which I said I seen that before where did I see that before that's Black Mirror have to see how good my memory I think that's season 4 of Black Mirror where they have doing exactly what they said the robot dog can do security patrol to make sure we don't have intruders and the very first person that the robot dog kills in black mirror the privileged black male 
Anyway, but they said roaming the subway like Jesus Christ. I am no fan of New York City for reals. I am no fan of New York State Empire. If they're going to have Digi and Spot the robotic dog to make sure that I am not some fair evader. I didn't hop the turnstile to get on the plane. Man, kisses all of our listeners in the New York area. I will never be back to New York City. I'm so glad I've already been there, done that, seen Statue of Liberty and all that good stuff. I had to fly to New York City to get back from Buffalo. I will never be back. Are you serious? Yes, they are. And again, they'll be able to say, what do you mean racism? Eric Adams thought this was, and matter of fact, they'll be able to say, Mayor de Blasio was the one who said, no way, cowbell. Your black brother is the one who brought it back. Let's see. The dollar stores. That's one I had to pause on. Reading is more important than watching television. They had that segment and talking about the so-called explosion uh, of dollar stores throughout the U.S., which they have been talking about for some time. I'd say for years at this point, because I was hearing that. Even before we read Harriet A. Washington, A Terrible Thing to Waste, which is what I prefaced that report with the segment from her book where she talks about why we should avoid dollar stores, contaminants and getting products that are unregulated overseas. You don't know what you're eating, even if you're going to get non edibles. You don't know if that's going to be toxic, lead, everything else. Leave it there. They bring on. This individual, her name, let me make sure I get it, Lauren Chinarides. They bring her on. This is New York, uh, New Orleans Public Radio. Uh, to get her on and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. She's a professor at Arizona State. Say, whoa, where is all this criticism of the dollar stores coming from? I, wait, wait, wait a minute. I don't even see any research into the health consequences. I think uh, Harry Day Washington's, I think she sounded pretty solid, right? She has footnotes. And a terrible thing to waste about what's incorrect, harmful uh, about going to these places. And even beyond all of that, individuals classified as white. Do you see them piling into the dollar store to get their food, get their vittles, what they want to eat, especially the white people who are not struggling to down and out white sacrifices? The white people who look like they might have some sense. Do they look like sense both ways s-e-n-s-e sense and c-e-n-t-s sense do they look like they're you know fighting jumping over each other to get in the dollar store to get their vittles to have dollar stores built in their neighborhood or are they going to i don't know whole foods sprouts trader joe's to get their vittles demanding that it be organic gluten-free (laughs) non-gmo GMO coon myself uh, use the eye test and you tell me here in the Seattle area put it this way it would take me a minute to even locate a dollar store I can find a Whole Foods easy PCC easy Trader Joe easy dollar store matter of fact double down it would take me a minute to even find a Walmart because they are not cool about having a whole lot of Walmarts in the Seattle proper area you have to go out to like Renton 
Puyallup, things like that out in the surrounding areas to go to a Walmart. They don't, I don't, do they have a Walmart in Seattle? I don't think they have a Walmart. They have a Costco. That's not the same thing. Not a Walmart. I have to think. Any folks that are familiar, if you do know that they have a Walmart in the Seattle proper area, let me know and I'll stand corrected. But I can't think of a Walmart in Seattle proper. Hmm. Anywho, uh, no to the dollar store. Uh, the land trust to help keep property for black people. That was great. That was one where I said, dang, I should go back and do some of the research on that with black farmers. Like if that was, you know, that was where that idea first came to try to stop white people from stealing property uh, from non-white people. Uh, let's see. This is Black Maternal Health Week. Uh, they have talked for years about the dangers because of racism, white supremacy, that black expecting moms. Miss C just went through all of that. Uh, and the unborn offspring, uh, that dangers that they face because of racism, white supremacy, and not getting the same level of empathy and care and everything else. The entire system is stacked. In fact, we don't even celebrate not happy about black children being born. So we certainly are not pleased about black parents, black moms being pregnant. And in fact, that said explicitly in Harriet A. Washington's other masterpiece, Medical Apartheid, where she talks about during slavery, it was get these nigger winches pregnant as often as possible. Keep cranking out those babies. Need more slaves. Need more slaves. Go Liverpool. Once that ended, whoa, 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 whoa. Get these welfare queen nigger winches to stop producing all these nigger babies. Oh, my God. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? She said it more eloquently, but I mean, that's it. Exactly. Uh, Let's in that segment, though, where they were talking about. Black maternal health week dangers that pregnant black moms face that I've seen personally myself with pregnant black moms, even though I don't have children. They were talking about Chicago specifically and the dangers that black moms face face but they said sprinkle in a little implicit bias one sprinkle are we doing cupcakes delectable negro I guess even though sprinkle in and then we get to implicit bias I would submit as a non-parent and someone who is never going to be pregnant uh, medical apartheid what I just said you got that whole section on J. Marion Sims, the father of gynecology. I don't think that's implicit bias. I would also submit John Hoberman's second time this week, Black and Blue, different book where he talks about, hey, we're talking about these white doctors. I don't know if we can just say that chalk this all up to implicit bias and ignorance. I mean, J. Marion Sims. We got a lot of white people who've been pretty staunch and out in the open about we are not treating niggers and what we think about niggers and how we vote as rich white people who don't have to go and get our groceries from the dollar store. I think you got a lot of white doctors who put that light white lab coat on and I'm ready to practice racism a la Coon Man, former governor of Virginia, Ralph Northam. That was a med school picture in the Commonwealth. I don't think that's implicit bias i think you just got a lot of race soldiers who happen to have on a white lab coat and see a pregnant black mother even serena williams crackhead welfare queen what are you doing here why are you having these nigger children sprinkle uh antioch the text messages from the enforcement officials they said 
40% of the police department in Antioch, California is participating in these text messages. Not four, four, oh, like 10 short of 50. 40% of the police department is participating in these text messages where it was, oh man, I hurt my toe. How'd you do that? Oh, I kicked that nigga. Kicked him. Boo. I booted him like it was a field goal and I was on the Oakland Raiders. Woo. Las Vegas, sorry. Woo. <laughs> what? The ball game. They said that. Where did you get Oh, I was going to get, where did you kick him? But they said it in the text. They said that they took photographs of a black male in the hospital where he was turned. They could get his backside. The full title is the delectable Negro human consumption and homoeroticism in U.S. slave culture. What in the Justin Volpe? That's the white man who was convicted in YPD shoved a plunger up Abner Luima's rectum and then ran around the police station bragging about it. Not a pl- Oh yeah, he did. It was a plunger. Ran around the police station bragging about it, holding the plunger in the air like a conquering champion. What does it mean to be white? Why are you photographing someone? You've already beat him, shackled him, everything. Why are you photographing his rectum and then we got to pass these around? Same thing they did with Kobe Bryant's corpse. Oh, those lynching photographs. Oh, I got it. I got it. I remember. I remember. Remember those lynching photographs? It took a lot of time and energy to get white people to stop exchanging those lynching photographs of murdered, shackled, castrated black males with a teaspoon of privilege. It took a lot of time and energy. To get them to stop doing that. Apparently they got the text back and everything. They just kicked all that back in. Hmm. Let's see. Uh, Oh man. We'll end. Uh, Again that was ABQ Albuquerque New Mexico. The fellow was. With the sword. Etched nigger into the property, and then Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This white man with a knife went out, stabbed black males. Niggers, ah, nah, nah. Got off. Be alert. What does it mean to be white? Worldwide. But those segments on the parents in the middle. Gwinnett County, black female, they said, you know, we're going to buy. How much is your nigger? $400. All right. You're with me, slave. What? Ah, nah. They start beating. Oh, does that sound like implicit bias? that sound like white children are ignorant about racism does that sound like their parents don't talk to them about racism share racist jokes hmm. how about Dr. Welsing again when she says when you play around with sex the joke is on the offspring I would humbly submit at this point we should all have a pretty solid understanding of what to expect from the school system. Everybody, especially if you have a black child and it would seem like, especially a black male, but black child period, male or female. Cause this was a young lady, black girl. Get over here. Yeah, yeah, do my homework. Yeah. Gwinnett County, Georgia peach state. If you're going to produce a black child. Oh man. Before we get to the bedroom, 
what is our child's academic program going to look like? Or are we cool? I mean, just say that. We're cool. We're going to send our child to this, and we'll just wait to get those calls that, oh, yes, mm-hmm, they said they were going to be, yeah, we knew that was going to happen. And then even, wait a minute, make sure you say that we knew this day would come so that your child can live. What? You knew this was going to happen to me? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Happened to me, too. They've been doing this for years. What is it? Called you a slave? Yep, yep. Did that to me in third grade. Yep, yep, yep. Dang. And you send it? Yep, 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 yep. Can't do the homeschooling thing. It's difficult, and we just haven't figured out a plan to do any better than school. So that's our only option. Say that to them. We going like this is not new, right? We hear this all the time, every week. We can continue to not take it seriously, producing black children, because this is a big part of the problem. This is why you end up with a whole lot of people that drop out of school and all kinds of things end up happening just right there. Take that real sip before we hop in this bed and you're so cute and oh, I'll my black queen and oh, my black king and oh, before, like, hey, so when all that wears off. And I can't stand you, and you can't stand me, and I hate your guts, and I don't want to talk to you, and I'm blocking you on social media and all that. So, and we got this child. What's the academic plan, or is it just, hey, your dad is lame, we couldn't work it out, and, you know, can't do the homeschool, so we just got to send you to the white people. Do the best you can. That's joke on the offspring. That's what all that means. The other one, Dr. Lisa Shell, sent her nine-year-old, her autistic nine-year-old son, to the white people. Broke his leg. And then kicked him out of school. <laughs> Can you imagine they break his leg, kick him out of school, and then send around a letter. We are not going to tolerate these students putting hands on teacher. Like, he got his leg broke. Who? What staff or student got injured because of him? Okay. She said after her child's leg is broken, we have to hear the explanation, all that. She said, I feel like I failed my child. That's why Mr. Fuller says, Dr. Shell, it isn't even you personally. We are not qualified to be mothers, fathers. It's attempted parents, attempted mothers attempted fathers and I said that is a tough one that should be explained to your child as soon as possible so they understand those situations where child ends up in foster care we were driving through Tennessee and what they snatched all five of your children they had the other one that was in Texas last week same thing oh you don't want to take the child for jaundice yep snatch that child put them in foster care hey I'm not in charge here your dad's not in charge here White woman, white man, they are in charge. We failed from the beginning. That's that's something that should be acknowledged. Like, hey, we're probably not even going to be able to do this the correct way, the way that we really want to, because nothing about this system is designed for that. This system is designed to perpetuate white supremacy racism and really this system is designed to produce throwaway children the book we're reading on Brazil they call them street urchins but same thing that's what this system is designed to give us all the throwaway children we just love 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 it's a whole segment I didn't even play it it's a documentary that came out this week about a half an hour 
epidemic of children being raped at school. Ah, now they were talking about some of these were white children, but they had a number of non-white children there too. You can send them to the white people. He said, yeah, mm -hmm, same thing happened to me. Got molested and blah, blah, blah. Or we can be serious. We're going to hop in that bed. Let's make sure we're not going to be producing children. You don't think we're going to be on speaking terms in the next 36 hours, next 30 days, much less nine months. We don't need to have any children. Maybe we don't need to be in this bed right now. Backseat. Playing around with sex. The joke is on the offspring. And again, connected to that. Not being for real. What's the academic plan going to be for this child? Are we really just sending them to the white people and we're going to hope for the best? That's it? That's our plan? Okay. We're going to tell them about all this in advance and what to expect and blah, 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 detail. Are we going to do that? Or it's just we send them to the white people and hope for the best? Okay. We've seen how that's gone for decades at this point, right? Haven't solved the problem. Might have to start looking at doing something radically different. That would even be one. If you're a teacher, retired, whatever the case may be, competent, you did some schooling, college, man, time and energy into independent schools. So many folks say they don't have time and energy and they didn't think all this out in advance, so they can't really homeschool independent schools. Black people who can at least, you don't have to be brilliant at everything, but at least if, hey, I'm a little bit smart at this math thing. I think I could teach some algebra or whatever else. Eighth graders, I think I could do that. Look into doing that. It might even have to be starting that. But that is such an enormous, should be obvious need. Widespread, it would seem across the world. Homeschooling and independent schools are people who just can't do that homeschooling where there is at least a neighborhood school and bang, that's an option, especially the younger ages, kindergarten through. Uh, and I mean, that entails a whole lot of other things in terms of, you know, having to vet folks and all the rest of it. But man, that should be serious counter racist activity. And at least on an individual level, can I homeschool? Can we homeschool? Like, let's seriously sit and even think about that plan, at least for the first eight, nine, ten years, resources, other people that are doing it. Because I mean, man, you hear that every week. Have that be your child waiting on the day where it's your child. Oh, they broke your wrist. Oh, they handcuffed you to the desk. Oh, they had the Confederate flag up or the little white students, because that's, you know, part of it, too. It's not just the teachers and principals and counselors and all that. Oh, little racist classmates. Oh, he called you a monkey. Oh, they were going to sell you because we've heard that one a few times, right? They got the whole slave auction thing. <laughs> all of that to say, Gus T does not have children. I told listeners share two of those reports with me. I said, Man, I don't have children. That is a big reason why I would not. I would be in tears having to either experience all of that. Go comfort your child. They called you a monkey and were beating you. Come do it. And or you have to explain now. Why is all this happening? Replace white supremacy with justice. A S A P. 
no throwaway offspring. We should be really serious about that. Dr. Welsing was super serious about that. The number is 605-313-5164, the code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Listener-supported counter-racist radio. Invest if you think the cows is constructive. Hit the blog racism-notes.blogspot.com. Racism-notes.blogspot.com blogspot.com paypal button in the top right corner you'll see the links for paypal cash app venmo enormous gratitude 14 years of investors listeners who have kept us on the air hopefully we have provided accurate information about racism white supremacy what it is and how it works what it means to be white much obliged for the investors. Let's see. Star 61, if you have commentary, no metaphors. Hopefully you all are in a quiet area so we don't have a lot of background disruptions. Let's see. First few folks who dialed in, hand up uh, if you have commentary. To share, line should be open. Let's see. Uh, 0356 should be with us. We'll nab other hands as I see them. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Thank you, guys. Greetings. Um, greetings to the callers and listeners. <clears throat> Thank you for taking my call. Uh, I just wanted to have a, an observation and a question for you. Um, I was going to make a comment on the Eric Adams and the uh, robotic um, enforcement officials that are being employed. Um, I just noticed a pattern, well, the obvious pattern, when there is something that needs to be implica- implemented, on non-white people, um, in particular black people in um, areas around the world, they will make sure to have a non-white person in supposed leadership positions. Um, I find this to be very effective so that the victims have a victim to blame and ridicule. Um, It reminded me of Martin Kevorkian's analysis on Terminator with Miles Dyson. So, you know, obviously he's the, you know, the black, you know, you know, the Negroes who forced all the white people into enslavement by the machines. Um, so I can possibly see this being a big talking point in a couple of months from victims about Eric Adams at Stop and Frisk is now done with robots. Um, and then continuing with that, just of noticing uh, this pattern you were talking about with um, particular Clarence Thomas, um, just with other victims on other topics, platforms, different social media, the news, where um, there's this um, this emerging face of the black white supremacist. Um, I've seen victims starting to call black people, you know, white supremacy adjacent, all these different terms that have been given by the white supremacist himself. Um, I think that should be noted and, um, you know, just, just okay. and a running analysis on my question to you was, um, I cannot remember the show that you had of the guest. It was a uh, white gentleman. Um, definitely before 2018, I want to say in the archive. And he was talking about, you asked him how racism was practiced when he was younger. And he was just saying how at the dinner table, how whites have a habit of when anything is negative, 
they'll attach the word nigra or black to it. And I'm just wondering, do you recall who was um, that guest on the show? Thank you for your time. Uh, much obliged, sir. I didn't really hear the first part when you were asking your question. You said this was just what was the first part before you got to the dinner table and attaching black to something that's adverse or vile? Yes, sir. Um, it was a white male. I want to say the show was before 2018, if I'm not mistaken. It was it was an earlier show in the archive. Okay, I didn't hear that part of it. Okay, before 2018, in the archives, white guest, uh, and we're talking about how when they're speaking, um, if something vile or evil, black will be uh, attached to it. Um, I have to think about that one. That's really specific at the dinner table that the white person said this i have to think i guess if that if any of the folks if you're listening live or archive uh if you if it sounds familiar now i guess you can dial in star six one or if you hear the archive you can email until justice at gmail.com if that sounds familiar before 2018 white guest talking basically saying that they associate vile things if they're talking to other white people at the dinner table and such and they will associate vileness something bad happened with black people or blackness specifically that is very common i'm sure that did happen just like i said it takes some time for me to try to figure out exactly who said that um but that is so common literally just today with the image that i used when i was sharing the uh today's segment uh on social media and such for the compensatory call-in uh connor sturgeon the white gunman in Kentucky shot up the bank and such. So the report, I'm just reading the caption. It says Louisville gunman Connor Sturgeon's shared dark final posts before killing five in workplace shooting rampage. Now that's just from, uh, oh, is the date on it? Oh, the date's not on it. But that's just from Monday, Tuesday of this week. And I played that segment. Uh, the documentary that came out about Jared from Subway. I think that's the title of it from just, I mean, that came out like a couple of weeks ago, last month, I think. Um, but in that documentary, they're talking to a white woman who ended up, uh, what do you call it, being, a, being an informant for the FBI to help entrap Jared to, or not entrap him, but record and get all the evidence and such so that they could uh, arrest him eventually. But she said it, uh, it blackened a part of her soul. When she's listening to Jared, this white man, convicted child rapist, tell her about all of his deviant fantasies and wanting to go to Thailand, rape some non-white children, all that. It blackened a part of her soul like that. That is a ubiquitous component of white supremacy, racism. It's it's all. That's why I said I'm I'm absolutely certain it's there. It would just be a matter of us tracking down which which white person said this. Uh, but it's all the time. Mr. Fuller even has it in the word guide. It's right in association. We've been talking about dirty. Uh, we talked about that in the book club this week, dirt bag. They were calling all the black soccer players, dirt bags, and the greatest dirt bag, same thing. Uh, and then uh, he even Mr. Fuller recommends that we avoid the term negative, even because he said that N E G negras negative negate, it ends up being the same thing uh, where that uh, 
set prefix is associated with black people and violence. The same thing that you're that you're bringing up uh, with black darkness. Uh, so all the words are so important, but once you just pay attention to that, you will see it all the time. Blackness, darkness, dirt, how that, what that's associated with, even when it's individuals classified as white that are practicing racism, raping children, that'll somehow end up being blackness and darkness. And yeah, uh, white serial killers and such. Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh, went to the darkest place. Ted, but it's ubiquitous. It is once you start just acknowledging that, go read what Mr. Fuller said about dirt and what have you in the word guy, even about that negative thing and negation and all that, you'll see it all the time. So I'm sure this white person said it. We'll see if we can uh, track it down. Uh, and at the first component of what you were talking about, we are encouraged to think that way. I think he said uh, white supremacist adjacents or however it's structured, however they say it, talking about non-white people that allegedly practice white supremacy or whatever. All of the non-white people support the system of white supremacy racism. All of us. That is so popular. So I've heard that for years. We got to talk about because we got non-white people that are going along with the system and supporting the system. Negro pins. That's another one. <laughs> Someone had said that on the, but that would be name calling too, by the way. But all of this is so popular, widespread. That even pops out sometimes. It'll just be we got to fuss at non-white people that are born in different parts of the world. There's so many different ways. I thought we got to get at Benjamin Crump. <laughs> There's so many different ways that that is manifested. That's why I said at the end of the day, Justice Thomas and all at the end of the day, who is most to blame for what is happening right now? Is it the Negro pins? Really? They're most to blame for what's happening right now. We we kill all the Negro pins, we'll be good. Everything will be straight. Everything will be beautiful. Benjamin Crump, if we go put him in the headlock and throw him in a, a dungeon somewhere, everything will be great. All our problems will be solved. Black people. Come on. Come on. That Dr. Osas, what's it? that gets encouraged he started the program off talking that way we can't even get accurate definition white supremacy let me just Gus if you just give me five minutes we got to talk about Clarence Thomas we can't be leaving him out of the equation we got that no count Clarence Thomas messing everything up sitting on the bench taking all the vacations I've heard white people even call him Uncle Thomas I've heard I was waiting I didn't know if Dr. Oates was going to got old Uncle Thomas messing things up All that shadow boxing gets encouraged by the race soldiers because the attention should be individuals classified as white. Number again, 605-313-5164, decode 564-943-POUND, press star 61 if you would like to participate uh, I guess we have uh, parents would have, I don't know, Black Maternal Health Week. I don't know. We had parents who were aware of that or paid attention to that. I know we do have a few uh, 
newer moms with younger children and such, if you all paid attention to that or if that was a big deal in your part of the uh, world or any of the numerous reports on uh, these children being terrorized at school and what you try to talk to your children, if they've got to go to public schools and all that, schools dominated by white people, what you try to do to keep them safe and how you talk to them about all this, I would have to, if I had children, it would that would not be a pleasant day either, but it would be mandatory. Those reports, because the a nine-year-old middle school, that's 12, 13, it would be mandatory. I would have to get all of those reports anytime I see them. Oh, wait a minute. Junior, come look at this. Oh, oh, come here. You look beautiful. Yes, darling, you look amazing. Got to come look at this. See, see what they did that little girl? That could be you. Look at that. Look at that. We would have to sit, talk about it just so that they can be aware these sort of things happen. And then what would you do? Tell them what you want them to do in those sort of situations. Call you or whatever, you know, a lot of schools they'll let you have a phone now so they could just call you and you could take it from there but make sure you talk to them I would share these reports again all of this is so that they are not surprised we want more and more victims of white supremacy non-white people they expected this I was prepared for this already have been thinking about bang do this do this say this don't say that more of that incidentally uh Tuesday, I guess in line, Black Maternal Health Week, Tuesday, uh, white guests only uh, should be talking about health again. Talked about that from a number of different perspectives over the last, I don't know, I guess what was what it, like the first quarter or the first third of uh, 2023? Uh, we've had a number of different discussions about health. If you had that segment, we slipped it in there about them not having the AEDs at school. Somebody mailed me a report talking about CTE where it was a white middle school football player who died uh, this week. He had had some sort of collision or what have you in practice. Once again, I would not have children playing football, watching tackle football, Madden, any of that. If it's flag football, that's fine. That's much, much safer. That's why they had that at the Pro Bowl this year, flag football, instead of all that tackling and dragging people on the ground and smacking their head off the ground and everything else. Uh, But I would not have your black children around that so that they don't even get that uh, addiction and early connection with all of that brain damage so they don't oh I've been watching the Super Bowl since I was six years old and blah 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 anyway we'll be here uh, Tuesday white guests only talking about health racism white supremacy even how uh, these killings of black people in this part of the world and worldwide uh, but how that impacts the health well-being uh, of individuals classified as black non-white people in total uh, but that should be Tuesday normal time 8 p.m. Eastern 5 p.m. Pacific let's see uh, other folks folks are spectating things they uh, stood out over the week I will only say uh, once again especially for uh, parents these sort of things are really important. Those school incidents, important to talk about, maybe even before you get to the bedroom, before you are an official parent, to be talking about with a potential care mate. Like I said, what are we, what are we going to be telling our child? How soon do we start these dialogues with our offspring about, you know, 
what racism, white supremacy is, these white children. It's, it's so much to discuss. Hopefully folks uh, are talking about that in depth and on an ongoing basis. Depending on where you are, uh, what's you know happening in your particular region, like I said, I would do as much as I can to not have my black daughter or black son in that sort of environment. It's just, man, the rapes, abuse, even the education, I mean, even if we were putting all that aside and their physical safety was going to be okay, which obviously can't even do that. But even if that was the case, academically, am I all right with my child being shuffled off into some remedial program? That's cool. Or, you know, can we do a little bit better than that? Any hoodles. Let's see. Uh, number again, hopefully, folks, if they have a, a thought or two or spectating for their Saturday, maybe out frolicking, enjoying the warmer weather. Number again, 605-313-5164. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate, we give folks uh, 10 minutes or so, see if they have commentary to share. If they're spectating for the Saturday, then we can wrap up early, do other things with our time and energy. Uh, but we'll definitely be here for Tuesday, white guests only. And then the book club uh, on Thursday as we're wrapping up, man, it feels like we uh, have been reading it for a while, which I guess we have a few months. Uh, Mario, Bilos, the black man in Brazilian soccer, but there has been so much happening in Brazil. Man, Dr. Welsing, the late Dick Gregory, so many uh, folks have encouraged us to do a better job being aware of what's happening locally, nationally, globally in the system of racism, white supremacy. Thing, so much has been happening in Brazil just in the past four months with the election and what have you. Uh, President Lula da Silva traveled area of the world known as China this past week. It might still be there today for all I know. Uh, But he was encouraging by Thursday, encouraging so-called developing nations move away from the dollar. We don't have to rely on that currency to get our needs met. We can work together and accomplish much, my brothers. Man, that was the most read report on the Washington Post. I think that was Thursday because that was the day we did the book club. And I said something about it. it was right when we went live. That was the most read report at the Washington Post in the world for that day. And them saying, dang, we expected better from Lula and we thought he was going to be an ally. And they even had the West. They had it in capital letter. The West. Capital W. Put the capital W. White people. Like, man, we doing go over there. These chinks, man, told you. Rona came from China. You over there telling them to get away from the dollar. What's wrong with you, man? And they got uh, former President Jair Bolsonaro. He's supposed to testify about the riots and hooliganism that happened at the beginning of the year with the elections and all that. It has been crazy uh, in that area of the world. Oh, yeah, we Pele's death is part of why we read this. His part is about to come up in the book starting this week and the whole way to the end of the book. So it has been a opportune time to study Brazil. If you're not following along in the book club, just 
take some casual time to look and they've had all the school attacks man <laughs> excuse me that has been so much of what we're reading in the book has been about hooliganism and soccer and the racism and homoeroticism and all of that but man they have had I think they had two school attacks this week they had a school attack the same day as the Nashville shooting here a couple of weeks back they've had a total of 11 school attacks in the last 8 months like 10 minus 2 8 11 attacks in the last 8 months in Brazil it has been staggering there have been so many reports just this week talking about oh my goodness the disease of school shoot that was a uniquely US thing and now it's Brazil what is going on like it has been a stunning time to be studying this area of the world with all of the this just so much overlap I've been saying that phrase transnational white supremacy overlap because there's so many similarities between what's happening uh, in these two regions might even be responding to some of the same motivations with regards to white supremacy racism but if you maybe get interested later on it'll be in the archive so you can kind of read and then pay attention to what's happening news wise but it has been a stunning time to research even to remember oh yeah Brazil nuts they're called nigger toes in many parts of the world by a number of individuals classified as white and this has been the case for years delectable negro but yes Brazil nuts that only grow in South America and the whole plantation we talk about slavery and all that the plantational aspect and even how they harvest and get these Brazil nuts nigger toes Hmm. Anywho, book club Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, almost done. But I think we should have two sessions left and then we'll be all done with Mario Filo moving on to a brand new book. Uh, and then white guest on Tuesday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Let's see. Uh, any parents? I don't know if we have parents listening in. If you all talk to your offspring about these events and what have you, some of the school reports uh, that we heard and what have you. But if we have parents who have thoughts on that, feel free. Get a thought in before we wrap up, If uh, unless you're having fun spectating. Let's see. Other folks who dialed in. Retired firefighter in Florida with us as well. Did you have commentary to share, sir? Yes. Uh, good evening. Uh, I was, uh, because I brought it up, I think, uh, maybe a few months ago about the, uh, the incident about the, uh, white teacher, uh, I think it was in the, in, in the Virginia area, if I'm not mistaken, uh, that was shot by, uh, her six year old, one of her six year old, uh, students. Uh, well, it, everybody knows it went national. Uh, they finally, uh, identified, uh, the, and, and indicted the parent 
that owned the firearm. And uh, this is another safety announcement. Uh, if you, a firearm could be a useful item, a useful tool, but at the same time, uh, it is uh, very important that uh, you utilize safety, especially if you have a child or children or children visits your house uh, to have that firearm or firearms locked up to whereas they have no uh, ability to obtain those firearms. Uh, not saying that they would do something like the six-year-old uh, reportedly had, had did, but just from the standpoint of harming themselves or someone else, uh, uh, that you make sure that firearm is secured. Uh, and uh, that that was just my thoughts on, on that. You mentioned something about uh, parents, uh, and I think it was about uh, the different incidents that took place in schools. Well, I mean, you you probably know my offspring is 27 years old. Uh, he does stay with me, and we share information, you know, all of the time on different things, you know, that happens in the news and that sort of thing. Uh, and although he is out of uh, school from the standpoint of grade school wise, but it was it was a uh, it was a uh, a task. I put it that way. It was a task to get through that period of time, and it's even getting worse, worser uh, for a non-white black child to get through one through twelve especially in the quote unquote public school system. Even in even in the private system it's it is it's it's difficult to get through without having any mental or physical damage done to that child. So it I I agree with you, it is essential to brief with that child or children on the subject of racism, white supremacy and what happened in school today talks. It is very essential to do so because the child may may not may not want to volunteer to come to you with uh, something that may have happened in school uh, for various reasons. Uh, so it's very important to to constantly have a briefing with the child. Uh, go to the school, be involved with the school. Uh, that your where your child is at. Don't just drop your child off or, or drop your child off on the bus on the bus stop and 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 just have an idea in mind that they are in a situation where the people who professionals who get paid to do it they're going to do what they're supposed to be doing. You are putting your child at risk by having that type of thought pattern. Uh, it is essential that as a parent that you attempt to be at a, at a attempted leadership position in that 12 year quest. By that time, by that time they would, you know, 18, 19 years old, they would be, if they get through it with that type of uh, uh, relationship, 
they they would be I think they would be mature enough to get through the college situation. But then again, it's still you know you'll be in contact with them verbally, also, you know as far as that concern, as far as college is concerned. Uh, but uh, they'll be better off as opposed to just like you could say, l- uh, letting the the quote unquote professionals take care of it once you drop them off. No, and that's all I have to say. Thank you. Much obliged, retired firefighter in Florida, uh, attempted uh, parent, uh, professional racist is more like it. If we're going to talk about professional anything, like, man, you can uh, expect that they will professionally terrorize your non-white child and have them all confused and discombobulated and all the rest of it, uh, much less safety concerns and all. So absolutely share, talk to them. Can't stress that enough. Communication, communication. Being able to talk to your child, talk to them honestly about racism, white supremacy, and have it so that your child knows that they can and should be open to come talk to you about whatever things that are happening in school, things that are happening with their so-called friends or whatever, you know, it might be. It should be uh, told that that is a major part of your duties as a parent doing some talking, (laughs) not all that uh smacking and and we got to do some uh whippings and lashings and spankings and uh, talking communicating constructive life-saving information hopefully about white supremacy racism what it is how it works so they can keep themselves as safe as possible when you are not in their presence and able to do all that for them so yes bravo uh Within part of that, the case that he talked about at the beginning, like, man, firearm safety, because that's so popular. And, you know, so many non-white people get very excited about we got to get guns and firearms. And that's how we're going to solve this problem. Hey, we went to the firearm. I mean, to the fire gun range uh, on a couple of our yoga retreats. Retired firefighter was with us on one of those. That does not, in my view, end racism, white supremacy. The firearms masters are racist man, racist woman. But if you are going to have that gun, darn tootin' safety. There is going to be no way my child is going to be able to access this gun. Six, because I think the case he's talking about, it was a six-year-old. There is no way that my six-year-old, five-year-old, seven-year-old, whatever it is, is going to get this not going to happen. We have a gun safe or whatever it is. We've already codified that so that not even a thought. Talked about that before. People do all that. You know, we need to our counter violence code and firearms and all of that. Man, you want to talk about codification? It is time to be super codified if you're going to own a firearm. And in particular, if you have young children. And it's tons of cases of that of parents where they do have young children and they own a firearm and there's no code at all. They got the gun on the table laying next to the remote control. Like I mean, I'm mean, I'm snickering, but that's not funny at all. But they got YouTube. You can watch that. They literally have YouTube videos of that. So have a code if you are going to own that. Fire. Even if it's just you, you should have. You have to have a code if you're going to own that firearm. But for sure, especially 
you own children. There's so many cases of that. It's so, he probably speaks to that retired firefighter much better than myself, but uh, folks who have to respond to those type of calls where a child has found a parent's gun or relatives, or in fact, even some people have talked about that's one of the big dangers. If you do have children, I don't, you allow them to go to white people's house especially if they have white friends unfortunately but even if they have non-white friends like oh man you don't know is their parents some sort of gun nut and they got 50 firearms in the house and you know maybe they're locked up maybe they don't maybe that child goes and plays with them that's another one be real mindful about that because yeah I would go anybody your child is going to their house I would go investigate check out even ask do you own firearms are they secure like oh Personally, I would not allow my child at a white person's house for a million reasons, but that would be a big one, too. whole lot to think about. You don't have children. Like, whew. man, I'm not surprised, though, that, that the mom of, or the parents, whatever, of the six-year-old uh, were charged in that case in Virginia. Not surprised at all. There was so much outrage about what took place there and all the rest of it. Uh, and it was a white, te- of course, a white female teacher. Uh, who was shot, she survived, and what have you. And I think she's suing the school district as well. So there will probably be lots of information as all of that unfolds over, you know, the coming weeks, whatever it is. Uh, let's see. Much obliged. Retired firefighter in Florida. Safety first. Let's see. Uh, number, any other folks or folks... Uh, spectating anything else that they need to share parents with commentary that they wanted to make sure they get in number again 605-313-5164 the code 564-943 pound press star 61 if you would like to participate give folks another five see if they have any commentary maybe three minutes or so see if they have any commentary questions uh observations they would like to share and uh let's see make sure i didn't miss any of my notes either let's see one note while i'm giving folks an opportunity that case 28 year old air force veteran garen foster down in texas privileged black male who was killed at a protest i guess that'd be my quick reminder dr welsing she spoke with us years ago this is even years before she passed where she did recommend they have these big protests after somebody gets killed by an enforcement officer or whatever it is. Um, I would not go out and be in these protests because anything can happen. And we've seen lots of instances of that. In fact, talking about robotic dog, Micah Xavier Johnson, they were having a march in Texas, 2016 black lives matter. They just had two police killings. Philando Castillo was one. I think he had a firearm. Alton Sterling was the other. I think he had a firearm too. Micah Xavier Johnson allegedly shoots those officers at the march that had been peaceful up until that point. And then they send in the uh, robotic dog, robotic device with an explosive device to terminate the life of Micah Xavier Johnson. That was the summer of 2016 for robotics history and policing in America. That, you know, significant moment for a lot of reasons. Uh, Beyond all of that, when they talked about the white man who killed Garrett Foster, 28-year-old down protesting in Texas for Black Lives Matter and all that, they said Governor Abbott in Texas is looking to pardon him. He hasn't even been sentenced yet, this white killer. And they're looking to pardon him. And they said 
I don't even I'm not even aware of that happening when somebody a governor is talking about pardoning someone who is a convicted killer they haven't even been sentenced he said that doesn't happen I have heard that before now the case I can recall immediately I'm not a jurisprudence scholar or anything but the case I can recall most immediately uh, the McCloskeys remember them this was also Black Lives Matter protest. This was in Missouri. They had a group of people protesting, right? This is close to St. Louis. They were walking close to the McCloskey's property, Patricia and Mark, white woman, white man. They're both attorneys, by the way, in Missouri. They came out with their pistols, rifle, and they said the same thing. I felt fearful. I thought, you know, these protesters got these niggers, came out of nowhere. Oh, my God. And uh, they ended up being prosecuted, convicted. Uh, for brandishing firearms, which I said at the time, that is not uh, allowed by law. That is a criminal activity. You cannot be out pointing firearms at someone just because they walked by your house or even if they walked on your lawn. You cannot be out pointing a gun at them. Anyway, even before they were convicted, you had the governor, President Trump, even he brought them to participate in his uh, Republican convention in 2000. He was running for the White House, running for re-election. But the governor and Trump had already been speaking out before their case was even adjudicated. Like, hey, we've got hardworking citizens here. They're on their property. You've got these mongrel hooligans who are run. The left has run wild. They wokeness has done it. They were saying all, they were talking about pardoning them in advance, and they did get pardoned. Now that's like I said, conceding this is not a murder case. They didn't kill anybody, brandishing firearms, but. <laughs> I just don't hear. I mean, I hear all kinds of O.J. Simpson and Bill Cosby and we're fitting to lock up this black person and lock up this black person and lock up this black person. I do not hear about we're going to pardon this black person. They haven't even been sentenced. And we already got the momentum rolling for the pardon. Like, dang, (laughs) what? I mean, I know you got black male privilege, but dang, what kind of privilege is that? They said that normally if we are even going to do a pardon, we wait till the end of the term, like last five minutes on the clock. And then, OK, all my homies, I'm going to let them out of jail. <laughs> Come and let this broad daylight. I'm not leaving office for a long time. <sighs> killed some nigger male. Wait a minute. He killed the Air Force veteran. Mr. Foster was. It. <sighs> 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 Privilege, black male, Mr. Foster. <sighs> Uh, let's see. Uh, caller at the courthouse in Florida. Do you have commentary? Should be with us as well. Yes, sir. May I be heard? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you very much, sir. Greetings to best the host, the listeners and callers. Uh, I was thinking about the, the dollar store segment where how they have them I guess stationed in certain areas where I don't know if they're close to other grocery stores but like where I'm at they do have it on like the east side of town where there's a higher population of black people um there is one like a dollar general next to a grocery store uh but I was thinking about how that like one part of the segment, the audio, I think it was someone being interviewed and they were talking about how they were 
I guess, trying to get more produce, I guess, like into some of the stores. Because uh, I, I I don't really go into the dollar stores myself, but uh, I didn't know that was something that was, I guess, being worked on. They were trying to conceptualize that. But I think somebody mentioned about eggs or something. Like they, they tried to uh, sell eggs and then they said they stopped, I guess, because it got crazy. And I just couldn't really fathom what they actually meant by that. Like, I don't know if they sold too many eggs or exactly what that was about or was something contaminated from the factory. You know, I, I was thinking about that for one. Uh, the next one was the, I was thinking about the segment where it was in Pennsylvania, I think, the, uh, in Pittsburgh, where the white man, and I don't know if he was intoxicated or not, I wouldn't be surprised, but the racism uh, where, I think that was the white woman I was quoting on, saying that, you know, I have to kill all black people. I was told to kill all black people. And, and it's like when these kinds of things happen, I know that they'll just say N-word and they're trying to downplay it or minimize it. And it's like, it, it can't be just that individual white person, but they'll report it like, oh, you know, uh, I don't know what's wrong with this person. Uh, and, uh, it was just a, I don't, maybe somebody will use the term fluke or something, or it's just that one white person and, the, another person sounded like they really weren't concerned about this person being, uh, you know, arrested or whatnot. I, I think that was a white woman. So, uh, you know, we just got to be concerned for our safety in the community. It just sounded like she was disappointed that, that a fellow race soldier was, um, I guess, arrested or caught or whatever. That's how it sounded like to me. Uh the segment where they were talking about the, what they kept using the term Hispanic and everything, but look at all of the racism that was being practiced and to go as far to go on the social media. I think that's what I heard. And they wanted to know the location of the victim, uh, and following that same type of, uh, white supremacy being practiced by, eating and using a strap or a whip or whatever the weapon was to uh, harass and be violent toward a victim of racism. And the teacher not really doing very much to stop it and make a report. Uh, it's just it's so much that um, that black people face. And that is a, I'm glad you're asking about if there are any parents that have any I guess any kind of advice or anything like that, because I have uh, two nieces and a nephew. I see them every now and then, but the, like my brothers and sisters, some like my brother, I think he'll teach his offspring about racism. I guess at a certain point when she gets uh, a little older, I guess I, I'm not entirely sure.
the issue of racism, white supremacy. Uh, and I think there was a segment where somebody was saying that they somebody needed to be locked up in a halfway house. I guess I don't know if that was the same segment about the the white guy stabbing people, but that can be another one too. To where it's like, you know, if it's really no racism going on, this is just this particular white person or that white person. Be all the rest of us, we are understanding. We accept everyone, and it's that kind of cliche type of rhetoric. Um, I have one last point I wanted to make, and like on the the local news that I see here in the area that I'm at, they had executed a black male, and they used the term that he was known as the ninja killer, right? So he been executed from something from 1989. So it's just I'm like, how in the world was he known as the ninja killer? And it just sounds like racism right there, like ninja killer or something. I, I don't know. Um, but other than that, if I could add one more thing, I think the the white kid, the well, no, not kid, but white man, really, this younger that was arrested for the document leak. I seen a report where they said he was uh, like at a shooting range or something, um, making racist comments, and they also added the word anti-Semitic. Uh, but they hadn't really been talking about him having those views uh, very much. They just mainly been talking about the document leaks on this from this white person. And other than that, that's all I have to share. Thanks for allowing me to speak. Wow. I feel so ashamed. I missed that totally. I did see, uh, I guess I was more taken about by the age uh, of the young white male. I think it's a white male that's I've been misinformed where they said he's responsible for these uh, document leaks where he was arrested this week. I was more taken by like that. Like, wow, I thought they said, you know, young white people are ignorant. They don't know anything about racism. Like, wow, he seems like he at least know a few things. I didn't see that he had these racist views too. Why? Because they, like you said, they didn't make that you know front page. So, oh my gosh, we're going to get to the bottom of these leaks and what is going on. Blah blah blah. And they showed the big arrest. And I'm, why am I not surprised? Hmm. <sighs> the young people are not that different. I see. Uh, with the dollar store, he was talking about the eggs. Unless I misheard it, I think they were saying that they discontinued selling eggs at the dollar store because they become so expensive. Uh, and that's why it got uh, crazy, I think they said, because uh, the price got so high. Because that's been kind of a nationwide thing for some time where egg prices have lots of inflation and such. Lots of places, they're even doing the same thing, not selling eggs anymore, looking for alternatives. Um, also, the segment, now that was the albuquerque new mexico that's breaking bad right (laughs) walter white all that uh but albuquerque new mexico where the white man got the sword carved negra into the property and been threatening people for some time they said that was the one where they said oh man now you know hopefully the system will work both ways and he's you know locked up and hopefully he can get to a halfway house or whatever to get the help that he needs i'm thinking that same thing like making it seem this dude had a put it like if it had been me and i had a toothpick 
and I'm out scrawling cracker on the sidewalk and what have you, it would not have been no, oh man, poor Gussie. I hope he can get the help that he needs and get him to a halfway. He can get his jello cups and some therapy and we'll have it. Nah. They said it was a wellness check. And they ended up blackmailed. Did the autistic nine-year-old, they broke his leg. Having problems and mental break. <laughs> Get out of here. I thought the end is, this is a system of white supremacy. This is not a problem with just one feeble-minded, crazy white man. No, and uh, this is a white man with a sword scrawling nigra. Just like the white fella in Pittsburgh, all the way on the other side of the country, uh, with a knife, stabbed two black people and called them niggers. And said he was told, kill all the blacks. Come on. Remember that case they had in New York a few years back? They had another white man. He had a sword. He was out stabbing people in New York City. Black males, specifically. See that in all the cases? They're going out there to get the black males. You know what I'm saying? Black privilege, black male privilege. Anywho, um, as for the nieces, I, that is widespread. He says he has nieces and nephews and, and what have you. And he doesn't know if, if their parents talk to them about racism. That's why I keep saying it because that's so widespread. It's so many. I'm including myself. My parents didn't talk to me about racism. That's widespread. And I assume their parents probably didn't talk to them about racism. And on and on and on. As I started studying this, I started hearing from lots of you. I asked our guests. We'd have non-white guests on the program. Did your parents talk to you about racism? Lots of them. No. Not in an accurate way or told them things like white people. They might, you know, mistreat you, but don't you let that, you know, hold you down. You're just as good as a white person. That's not, that's not telling you anything about why these things are happening, what racism, white supremacy is, how it works. Expect to be called a nigger. This is what to do. Do this. Don't do that. Nobody talks about that sort of detail. They'll tell us, you know, you you love everybody. You don't be like them. You just love everybody. That's not that's no help at all. <laughs> Might as well not say anything. Jesus <laughs> Lord. But that's widespread. They'll say, you know, if you try and tell them this, oh, you hating white people, you know, or you mess up their childhood. The system of white supremacy already messed up their childhood. It messed up my childhood. It messed up your childhood. The best you can do is either say, hey, if we have these black children, their childhood is going to be messed up. We'll have to talk to them about racism and everything else. That's if they don't get Trayvon Martin. Tamir Rice. Childhood has already been messed up. That's system of racism. Got to tell them the truth or we're going to, you know, we can just continue doing the same thing. And that's so calm. That's how we are encouraged to think about our attempted parenting like don't do and then look cross at someone who brings it up like hey these incidents have a teach me hey white people get out of here we have heard that from racks of parents I guess he'd be uncle uncles aunties parents grandparents all of that <laughs> we have said that over the years we even had sometimes where it'll be one of the parents say dang I'm trying I'm attempting you know, to share the information and dang, my mom came in, my dad came said, what are you doing that for? You're going to teach them to hate white people. Stop doing it. Or they can't even understand it. I got to wait till later. I'm going to wait till they're 20 years old. Well, they might, might get Tamir Rice before they get to 20. Might get Michael Brown Jr. before they get to 20. Might get Tawana Brawler before they're 20. 
We can do it. The, that's the way people have been doing it. That's what I'm submitting. That's the way we've been doing it for a long time. We're not going to talk about this. And this is too controversial. We just want to talk about pleasant things. We got these Obama children's books. Isn't Michelle beautiful? She is beautiful. But I mean, still. We can do it that way and get the same results. Or let's keep it real. That's what they say. Let's keep it all the way real. We are in a system of white supremacy racism, and it pains me to say this, but man, I am, an, uh, I am your attempted father. White people are in charge of me too, and we can never forget that. I don't have children. I might not know what I'm talking about. Uh, let's see. We're almost done. Anything else? Folks need to get in. Anything else? Can I be heard? Uh, Caller 0356. Yes, sir. Um, I work Thursday. I've been participating in the book club um, through all of the British Union Soccer. Phenomenal book. Just really short. My uh, attempted father was from the area known as Louisiana. Um, Bunky in particular. When I was younger, I was eating these nuts one day. He showed me the shell. He's like, don't use the teeth to crack it. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, it's a nicotone. I'm like, what is that? He's like, a nicotone. And he proceeded to explain that unlike a pecan or anything, you know, this is a hard nut. And it's been known to mess up people's teeth. So they called them nicotones, even in Louisiana. So just, you know, the correlation between things being hard or they call it damage, associate them to Nicholas. Thank you for your time, sir. I can't breathe. That's attached to so many names now. (laughs) I was thinking Eric Garner, but I can't breathe. Wow. Mm, mm, mm. I, I had a whole segment. I'm telling you, other people were saying, Gusty, you are the worst at picking books for the book club. We could have picked something way better than this lame old book talking about soccer in Brazil. I don't speak Portuguese. You don't either, which is true. You don't watch soccer. True. You don't know anything about South America. True. Although I know more now that we get close to the end. I'm so glad we picked this book. I have learned so much. In fact, I learned so much. I keep saying it. I had sound clip Dr. Welsing talking about white supremacy in Brazil. I normally would have ran. I would have made an excuse to play that. I still haven't played it because there's so many things to talk about with Brazil. They won't stop shooting up the schools and stabbing up the schools to give me a chance to play it. And then the Brazil nuts. Oh, Jair Bolsonaro's got a I didn't even know about the coming. I did know those Brazil nuts are hard. That's why I said the harvesting. That's a whole different component of the racism. You could die trying to harvest Brazil nuts and <laughs> going and look in the process of how they get these. Oh my God, you could die. That's nigger work too. People that go do that. Anyway, part of that. Oh, tough shell. Remember, they even have a great documentary. I have to post it where they show some of the rodents that eat the Brazil nuts in Brazil. And they talked about how they have really strong jaws because the shell 
for the Brazil nut is really hard, niggerish apparently. <laughs> and so you have to have really strong jaws to break through it, and then pow, you can ply out all the Brazil nuts. They didn't even connect it to that's part of why they called them nigger toes. They're so hard and difficult to open niggardly, they could mess up your teeth. Are you flipping serious? Yes, because they still call them nigger toes. It's almost 2025. In the name of George Floyd, yes, they still call them nigger toes. Delectable Negro, human consumption, homoeroticism in a U.S. slave culture should be world white culture. Nigger toes. Much of the book club reading is more important than watching television. I'm telling you. I'm so glad we picked it. This is the moment the creator said, study Brazil right now. Two more weeks in the book club. Anywho, much obliged for the folks tuning in. Hopefully it was worthy of your time and energy. Tuesday, we'll be here. White guests only. See if our guest knows about nigger toes. How about that? Uh, Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time replace white supremacy with justice immediately no name calling in fact I'd said that I kept seeing those lists for the 10 stops no name calling was one number one of 10 on several I kept seeing it It was number one number one someone said no Gus it's not number one in the updated word guide I said oh okay okay where is it at Number two. Once again, I'm going to have to find out. So is this like a random order type of a thing? Or is this order of most importance? Apparently, no snitching was number one in the updated guide, but no name calling. Two. It's two on some lists. It's one on some lists. It just randomly ended up that high on lists over and over again no name calling no name calling in my view calling somebody what was it Uh, a white supremacy agent adjunct (laughs) all of that's name calling too unless that person has said yes I am a white supremacy adjunct yes I am a white supremacist proxy Yes, I am a white supremacist accessory and on unless that person has said yes, that's the name that I'm taking or label that I'm taking for myself. You are name calling. 
10 stops, man. Right up there with no cursing. Filth Florin. Cal signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you're so brainwashed. I'm a victim, no brother. You're a victim. I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm -hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs>